It's the Benz Brunani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this If you sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea, we are go sippy Hot time scrolling for your long truants You might learn something you never know Could let you find, and she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind Ooh, this one's high for Queen Liz, you'd queue through the night I'm sorry but the shit just don't feel right You know what I'm about to say It would have been easier to bathe Took your hand, led you to the change Straw man arguments don't fool me Because to you, this is just a game It would have been easier to bathe See, I've accepted now That you're wrong and strong This queue is very long I'm gonna say this now The stench is rather strong And you know, it would be easier to bathe You don't like the queen You just like to bathe Is it even really my place to say Jesus, Jesus, Jesus no tears stream from your face You don't know history You really just a craze To be real, it's a patriotic game, baby You know it would be easier to bathe <laughs> Oh my god I do not have a head voice Jesus Jesus of the vocal trainings Lord Well Anyway, you're wondering what was that screeching? I would, I want you to play that. I want to see videos of you playing that when your cats and dogs are nearby because I just want to see that reaction of bitch of what, bitch what the motherfuck. Um, but it's me, Kalechi, in the best, 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 best place to be. Um, and you are listening to SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What. That's right, suck your mom and my god the live show is on sunday like i'm recording this on a sunday so literally the next sunday it's the live show i don't i feel like i'm just going to be having i'm just going to be wearing the one outfit you know because i mean it, unless something changes i'm just going to be wearing the one outfit because when i tell you that life has been lifing i've just had no inspiration for an extra outfit i mean annie was really helpful helped me to like look for bits especially from um this cool vintage um, sh- um shop um but yeah i just i just i ain't got it i ain't got it i ain't got it i don't i don't feel the pizzazz in my bones the way i did for bloomsbury because i think so many life things are happening you know like in the world at large and then like personally i'm just like look I'm, i i know i'm definitely going to have one sickening fit and maybe in life that's enough a, one sickening fit and a cute shoe my hair looking cute, my hair, I mean, you know, my, my face beat, that might just have to be enough, you know, because otherwise, if I go into that changing room and I do a quick change in the intermission, I can't promise that I won't come out in Crocs. I'll come out in Crocs and I'll just come out in one little black dress and that, and that will be that because really, can a baby girl come and kill herself? I think the fuck not. I might just, I really wanted, I really want, um, Crocs that are covered in gold rhinestones, like yellow gold rhinestones. That's what I want for my birthday. For those who've forgotten, my birthday is the 5th of October. It's not readily available. Someone has to make them. And somebody lovely did say that they would be able to make it for me, but I don't think they would have had it ready in time for the live show. But 
That might just be my look Because I mean At the end of the day I do have the croc charms So I should be rocking My own croc charms At the live show So I might just drop Into a young croc When you know When the changeover happens And come out in Some simple black dress Because that's still 90s You get me If I do a If I do a little Platform croc A little black mini dress um, Some kind of jacket To zhuzh it up I'll, I wanted to say I'll be spicing up my life But they're mandatories One of them anyway So I don't know about that My spice is much better than that Okay um, But yeah So the live show is on Sunday We made it guys We made it We made it <gasps> We made it And today Is today not that um, Jan Crow's funeral Queenie Funes Well I just need them to hurry up Hurry up and get her into the ground Get her into the ground Because I want to see this whole thing play out Because, the you know, people have already been moving mad You know, in that whole situation And yeah, I'm just ready to see the whole thing Just crash and burn, um, to be honest um, But yeah, what have I been up to? Well, I'm tired I've, I went to Liverpool for my uh, a friend's surprise birthday party that was really cool like all my friends are turning 40 wow yeah a lot of my friends are turning 40 i'm 4 years away um well i'll be 4 years away in october the 5th um but yeah all my friends are turning 40 i'm looking forward inshallah you know i'm looking forward to my 40th because I don't even want to talk too much because you know what it's like. Then it'll, some world event will happen, and then I'll be sitting there in a dark room, not able to celebrate. God forbid. But you know, let's not say too much. Shall I just enjoy what the moment is? But it is lovely that so many of my friends are turning forty, and it was nice to be at the surprise party. And I hadn't been to Liverpool. I maybe since like twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, um, and I graduated prior to that in two thousand and eight from Liverpool. Um, so yeah, it's changed a lot, but at the same time, a lot of it is still the same. But it was nice that a sense of nostalgia. But this is what I mean that when astrology is really astrologizing, Jesus, because X's were popping up from everywhere. Wow. And you know, the Mercury retrograde is in Libra. That's my sun sign. That's my seventh house. Um, so like, wow, like, and it's funny because it was the it was Aquarius placement. X's that I saw popping up And you know I'm an air sign Libra Aquarius is an air sign You know as well So it, that was interesting That was really interesting And just kind of seen You know because The Mercury retrograde Would be happening near my sun it, um, As in my, the, my sun The the, the star um, It just kind of sh- All of these interactions Sort of showed me Different versions of me Or versions of me That I'd outgrown Almost as if like That was life's way Of showing me that And this current um, Way that you identify You will outgrow this too And all of these moments Will also Become a past too So Think about that You know Think about that Choose wisely In the present Because you are also Going to shed This um, Identity At some point too just yeah I just think it's interesting I mean there are six planets currently retrograde so we're seeing that play out in the world in a wild way but you know girl I dig it I dig it but yeah very much looking forward to the live show very much looking forward to seeing um so many of you there or oh, a few a few of you I guess in a grand scheme of like listeners but yeah I'm looking forward to seeing um you there 
Um, the croc charms you can either order ahead, as I've mentioned, so you could just pick it up uh, at the is it Shakespeare's Head pub nearby. You can pick it up from there once you've ordered. Once you've ordered, if you haven't ordered, you go straight to the venue to Sadler's Wells, and um, you can get it from there instead. Lev, you're not having any more. Do not take another one of my snacks. Let me not see your hand on my snacks. As you can guess, Lev is with me as I'm recording. And he's been really making the most of the fact that I'm busy and the, um, Vanessa, my PA, put lots of snacks uh, um, in the office, giving me these sugar boosts. And he's really just been going there and helping himself to whatever. Um, but yeah, so you can get your merch there. There'll be like special announcements and fun fun bits. Um, our special guests, guests are Oloni, um, as well as Kwajo and um, Shea Universe will be performing. So it's going to be an amazing, amazing night. And yeah, I'm just, and the after party, obviously we're going to be brocking out, shocking out. That would be great as well. But then, yeah, in the hopes of not wasting too much time, let's get straight into the tarot. I was going to say, look out for a special announcement from me on Thursday, but then we know how that goes. Then there'll be some kind of spanner in the works. But if all goes to plan, that will also be a a cute look. Um, But yeah, let's get into the tarot. So this letter says, hello, Kelechi. I hope you are well. I'm a relatively recent fan having only discovered your work this year somehow, but you have already made a huge impact on me as a black woman. And I wish nothing but good things for you and yours always. Thank you for everything you do. I'm writing to you today as I think I have hit a brick wall in my understanding of my own circumstances. And I wonder if the cards hold any insight into the blind spots and corners of my life that I cannot see past. I'm approaching my mid thirties and I think a lifetime of what I'm coming to realize has been people pleasing and low expectations has finally become emotionally unstable. I've run out of energy to cut three, uh, to cut a three decade long story short. I was raised an only child who for most of my life was estranged from one side of my family and the only child on the other side that did stick around. Um, therefore immediately the only way to connect with peers was to connect with friends in retrospect I think I was always aware of how precarious my position was in the lives of those closest to me outside of my mother I became the strong low maintenance friend because I decided to own being low priority to preempt rejection I was nobody's cousin nobody's sister and this meant being easily discarded within the community I grew up in, especially being socialized as a girl who'd one day be a wife, mother and res- and responsible relative. Those were in quotation marks. I think it's also important here to mention that most of my friendships were formed before the age of 23, the majority in secondary school. I think this is relevant as the dynamics are well established. It's too late to change them now. Fast forward to today and many things in my life have come crashing down in unexpected ways. My estranged parent passed away suddenly this year. My friends are aware of this and yet I've heard so little from any of them. My closest friend in particular has said almost nothing to me. I get that people can be awkward about death, but nobody has even asked me how the funeral was. I'm struggling to communicate with people at the moment, messaging, etc., because I'm tired and grieving and basically nobody has meaningfully reached out to see how I am. I no longer have the energy to initiate as I've always done. 
This has forced me to face something I have pushed to the back of my mind since childhood. I have created these dynamics. I have allowed people to treat me like an afterthought and allowed people to mug me off. I am the one people think of second or third or when they want to do something cheap or when they want to vent. When I put up boundaries in my mid twenties um, regarding the venting, because it was a lot, I actually had several people distance themselves permanently lol i'm assertive in all areas of my life except with my friends for some reason i feel a bit disgusted with myself if i'm honest you probably have neptune and aquarius um or like an 11th house placement but i could be wrong um I do not have the kinds of people in my life who would treat me or make a special day for me ever, even though I've seen them do that for other friends. And even though I have been there and planned things like baby showers and birthday parties, I'm not someone who gives to receive and I do not keep score or do a tit for tat. But I'm also not going to be willfully obtuse and not notice the imbalance. I feel my feelings deeply. And I deal with rejection sensitivity disorder due to ADHD, but I've learned to mask and act like I'm more fun than I am because the few times I've shown vulnerability, I've been met with either confusion or indifference. I think I come across as nonchalant a lot of the time. Being single, wanting to go out and do things, those things actually feel like they are in my gift to do something about. Um, I I've even started going out doing by myself. That part is cool. Or doing things by myself, I think it's meant to say that part is cool. Uh, These are not the things that bother me. However, they add context to my feelings spare. I'm nobody's partner, nobody's mother. When I'm ever confused, what I'm ever confused about is what realistically I can expect or confront anyone about, if at all, when A, I've said nothing up until now and B, nobody owes me anything. I need to find something within myself first before thinking I need to have certain conversations. I need to deeply reflect on whether there is ever going to be any value in in addressing any of this. My attitude is spilling over into how I'm approaching my budding relationships with my newfound family as well. I can't ask or expect anything from them when their lives are full and fine enough without me in it. They all have a lot on, um, they all have a lot on bereavement, especially. So even though I have family now, I don't really, I'm just still a spare, still trying to be, um, of, um, little bo- uh, bother. There is so much more uh, that I could write, but I don't want this to get too long. So I just want to say thank you. If you do end up reading this, my birth chart is below. If helpful, may God continue to bless you. Thank you so much. I'm looking for where Neptune in Capricorn in the ninth. No, wait, Neptune in Capricorn in the sixth house. Okay. This is an equal sign that you use, but it's fine. I work with it. Leo ascending. Yeah, this is an equal, so it moves everything around. Um, just having a look at your chart. Uh, okay, lots of earth. You've got lots of earth here. Sun in Capricorn. Moon in Cancer. Oh, Moon in Cancer is lovely. We'd get on. Um, Mercury in Capricorn. Okay. Venus in Sagittarius, so fiery. Mars and Aries. Okay. Jupiter and Taurus. You know, because your natal Jupiter is in Taurus and um, that's where the North Node currently is, I'm not surprised that this is when all of these feelings are coming to the fore for you in terms of 
thinking about your destiny, thinking about where you fit in in life. It's not, I feel that I'm going to, I've been shuffling the tarot cards while I've been reading your message, but I feel like this is more than just about where you fit in in people's lives, you know, in the immediate sense of people you know, but this is more about where you feel like you fit in in life. Um, Okay, what's this first card? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, just pulling out your cards. Yeah, I feel like this is about where you where you feel like you fit in in life. Looking at these cards, let's see what the story is telling us. First card we've got is the goddess of pentacles. Like, and I think that comes out first. And I mentioned you having quite a lot of like earth energy in your chart. Lots of things happening in Capricorn. Um, and pentacles being about earth signs This came out So basically this is the equivalent of queen of pentacles Like you have so much to give to the earth, right? But you are also being reminded that The same things that are around you Whatever makes up the sky, the water, the soil, the trees The this, the that Fam, it makes you as well Like you are as miraculous as the air that you are breathing in and that what you, and just as miraculous as how the functions of your body works and how like just, you know, the season is changed and the sun rises and um, goes down. Like you are as miraculous as those things. Like you have to understand that first and foremost, because what's happening is that you're seeing yourself as lesser than the things around you. What's happening in the interpersonal sense, like, you know, before I even got had the cards come out, is that you're seeing yourself as lesser than the people in your immediate environment. But that speaks to the larger conversation that you are having with life. And the issue is that you are having a conversation with life, but you are not allowing, you are not opening any channels for life to talk back to you. But I feel like it's a great step that you wrote into the podcast for this tarot reading, because I feel like this is you initiating that. And you'll see that the more that you initiate conversations with life, the more that you initiate conversations with your spirit team, they will respond because they are always actually talking to you. They're always talking to you. It's just about us being able to fathom what we are being told and what we are being advised and how we are being encouraged we have to be open to seeing that and the only way that we'll feel open to seeing that is if we feel like we are worthy of that because I feel like a lot of people sometimes when they say oh I don't believe in all of that woo 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 shit first of all you don't have to believe because a fact is a fact you don't have to believe but that's cool but sometimes the reason that some people claim that they don't believe is that deep down they don't think that they are magical enough they don't think that they are amazing enough that life would want to interact with them specifically. They are just feel like they are just another cog in the work. You know, even in a way that you describe yourself as a spare. Fam, a spare what? A spare what? There can only be a spare if there are bare of them things. There aren't bare of them things. There's just one you. Fam, there's one you. There is literally, even if you had an identical twin, there is still just the one you how they choose to use their collection of cells that might look like yours and how you use choose to use your collection of cells that look like you like it gets used in different ways thus you start creating an energetic imprint that can only be assigned to you so you can't be a spare anything because you are just like you are the only one fashioned in the way that you've been fashioned and you have to like you really have to step up on them like you, you like you have to show out um 
in a way that you understand that. And I'm saying that to you, but that's also something that I'm having to learn for myself as well. Like when things get tough, when I'm feeling like, oh, there's a lot of criticisms around or like I feel depleted because I feel like I've given in terms of like the Libra sense, I feel like I've given so much of myself to everybody throughout the years. If it wasn't like help, like helping my mom when I was younger, raising my brothers. And then you kind of end up like mirroring these things in the relationships that you choose to enter the friendships and all of those things that you choose to enter the careers that you choose to engage in throughout your life and then you're wondering why you're upset or why you're depleted and why you're depressed and all of these things happening because everything has been um an energetic expenditure that hasn't been um rebalanced like you haven't had anyone pour back into you but then at the same time, you won't gravitate towards the people that will pull back to you because look at what you said. You said that your friendships, the majority of them were formed before the age of 23. Our brain doesn't fully even mature like all the things that it needs to have. I mean, there are some men that I don't think, well, not even just some men. There are some people that I don't think your brains have matured at all. But um, it doesn't really mature until about or get fully matured until 25. So you've gone and formed all of these friendships that you're meant to stay beho- stay beholden to. Um, and let's say like for the past, what, 20 something years, you haven't been allowed to grow in your identity because you stayed with those people. And those sometimes those people don't want you to change because people do like their comfort zones. People don't like change. So where they're scared of changing themselves, they could potentially take it out on you. So that's also something to remember. And I'm someone Ah, I don't make friends, you know, I don't go out to make new friends. Like there's probably one person who, hmm, I'd say one person in like the last year, in the past few months that I've actually been open to like, not yet, I would say in the past few months or a couple of people in the past few months that I've been more open to um, engaging in a friendship with because I, I'm just like I'm so insular as a person people think that because I have um, this expression where I I talk about things and I say what's happening in the world but I'm very in my own space and I don't like people being in my space but at the same time I can't then turn around and be like oh I'm so lonely but why wouldn't you be lonely when you don't want to give people the chance to know you you know um And so we see here the Hierophant in reverse as well, which uh, after the goddess of pentacles, because that is saying that there are all of these beliefs need to die. Like the monuments that you've put up of all of these people in yourself throughout your life, you need to pull all of them down. You need to just pull all of them down because you are the monument that you should be focusing on. You are the monument to be revered, like to be revered. And more time we're seeing those monuments after the fact when these people have done their work and gone. So this is a monument that we're building. It's not even one that's established. What do you want it to look like? What kind of stones do you want to use? Do you want to use stone? Do you want what do you want to use in terms of materials to to praise the the essence, the magnitude of you? What do you want to use? Because you deserve to be celebrated, but you know. I feel like you've done a lot of the work. Well, you've done quite a bit of work because you're able to recognize all of the dynamics that could have um, contributed to where you are now. We've also got the God of Wands in reverse. They're saying that until you shift these um, ideas about um, 
wanting to be of little bother, wanting to be low maintenance, all of these things, until you shift away from those things, the kind of person that you want in terms of a romantic relationship will actually continue to elude you because you're likely, hold on, just repositioning Lev, you're likely to then mainly attract the the kind of guys that like to pretend like they want low maintenance girls. And those, let me tell you, those motherfuckers, those motherfuckers, because they'll do up, do up. Oh, I like low maintenance girls. I don't want her to, you know, wear makeup. I don't want her to be too much drama, rah, rah, rah. But do you know that they'll then go outside, they'll go to the gym, they'll go to the club and they'll start looking for the girls that that can really give them aggro because at home they want to feel like, oh, they've got this low maintenance girls because they know that the boundaries are lacking. They know that, um, asserting of will is lacking so they'll get away with so many things that's what they're really saying like I want a woman who will let me get away with fuckery but you'll be bored and then you'll now go and look for the women that won't let you get away with fuckery um in and around the place you don't want to be that you don't want to be you don't want to be um you know advertising low maintenance low maintenance are you a Skoda like come on are you a Kia those are car models but all car makes like, what are you that you're talking about low maintenance, low maintenance? Like, from when you're not a Ford Fiesta, like, please, like, have, have standards, have standards. You know, you are a VIP experience. You are a VIP experience. Nobody's allowed to jump the queue, Holly Willoughby, Phil, Philip Schofield. Nobody's allowed to jump the queue. Because then we've got the 10 of wands here. Spirit, your spirit guides are begging you. Put everybody's load down. Like I even did, I'm sure the episode that I did the other day when I was talking about taking paracetamol for somebody else's headache, you must have listened and you thought, rah, is she talking to me? Is that is that an indirect? And I hadn't even read your letter at that point. Like I'm only making my way through the inbox now. But your spirit team are saying to you specifically, you've got to stop carrying everybody's load. Because the thing is, it doesn't make you more attractive to them and it definitely doesn't make you like, it doesn't embed embed you further into their life. And I'm somebody that knows that. Having people need you, creating a situation where you need people to need you in order for you to feel safe and that you can't be discarded of, is manipulative and it doesn't serve or it doesn't foster true relationships. Right now at this stage in my life, I'm working towards not wanting or not gravitating to people who need me. I just want to gravitate to people who just want me there. Like they are good on their own, but they're like, my God, you're brilliant. Like, let's hang out. Like, let's be friends. Like, let's, you know, like that sort of vibe. Because even in terms of family, that can stress me out. Like if your mum's always asking you, oh, can you do this? Can you do it? And fam, I don't want you to need me. Like you stand on your own, stand up, stand up, you know? I would want that even for my son. Like, I don't want you to be in a situation. Of course, there's going to be up until a certain age where you need me, but I want us to grow, hopefully with my, you know, parenting skills that I I continue to hone as life goes on. I want you to get to a point where you're like, even like forget being my mum. Like, I just think that you're a sick individual. I feel like you're a cool individual. Like I fucks with you. Like that's where you'd want to get to in life. You don't want people. You don't want to hold people down. You don't want to try and lock people in to needing you because you'll never ever get to experience the full versions of those people. They'll never get to experience the full version of you. You, the relationship, the dynamic that you have with each other could never reach its full potential because what the dynamic is skewed it's skewed the power imbalance is off and while one might think it's in your favor more time it's actually not 
So they, the, the message isn't about how you go about, oh, nice, the emperor. There's something here about father figures as well that I'm seeing because I saw the God of Wands and then now I'm seeing the emperor card come up as well. Um, and how that's kind of impacted your view of the world because we've got the three of wands in reverse, sorry, the two of wands in reverse at the bottom of it. And I wonder if there's a part of you that's kind of like, you talk about, you know, I'm nobody's mother, but it looks like maybe there's a fear of having children here as well, in case that you're bringing them into um, dynamics that you that you don't want to replicate. You don't basically want to keep on with cycles. Um, and that comes across in these cards as well so I feel like spirit isn't necessarily telling you how to stop to go about not being a spare they want you to address the fact that you're not a fucking spare like a spare for who a spare for what start there that's where it needs to start you're not a spare because you've been divinely and like like divinely and beautifully made like and fearfully made rather like you, like and I feel like that word not me turning into um, preacher Kalechi but I feel like that word fearfully is so important when I want to do something so well that I don't want to fuck it up that's important that shows how important that work is to me that is how spirit fashioned you where it's like nah I'm gonna take my time and on you was that in sync <laughs> not that um um Justin culture take but um but yeah, like you were fearfully made like spirit. You were created in such a way that spirit was like, I need to get this right. Like this baby girl really needs to baby girl, you know, stand in that. Stand up, stand up. And don't feel any way because you also need to remember that Pluto um, is in Capricorn, right? Um, and it's just about to leave Capricorn. And so Pluto being in Capricorn over the last few years, I think would um or part of last um um what's it over a year or so? Um oh no, before that actually a few years, I was right. Um but Pluto being in Capricorn has really really and being in Capricorn, being around a lot of your placements, it really showed you where your where the power was off in your life so sometimes we think that some terrible things are happening to us and life is really hard when actually what we're seeing is that we're just being shown all the things that aren't working in our favor and that once we ch change and shift these dynamics then we then we have the space to have the life that we want and that's what's really really important in this situation i hope that that helps i hope that that helps um but yeah that's that for um, the tarot for this week uh, I'll big up the first of this week's show sponsors actually before we go to share your magnificence um, which will be with um, Rihanna um, yeah I'll pick up the first of this week's show sponsors who are Dipsy this podcast is sponsored by Dipsy so what happens when, I don't know, you've been reigning for about 70 years and then you're in a waiting room in Hades and you're like, rah, I'm not going to get to see my boo for a minute. I've got to wait for that elevator down, the eternal elevator down. What do I do? Like, you might want to switch things up, you know, and want to listen to a very sexy story because you are allowed to switch things up when you feel like it. 
and some and most of us when that's not, we're not in that waiting room so we're good right so we have even more of a chance to switch things up maybe yesterday you were listening to country music but today you're you know in your 90s r&b bag even if you're not hitting the notes like me from earlier on you um your go-to dessert might be i don't know tiramisu and then today you're like you know what i want a young creme brulee like you can do what you want to do um with dipsy you can always choose what feels right for you in the moment dipsy is an app full of hundreds of short sexy audio stories designed by women for women they bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and characters no matter who you're into and what turns you on um New content is released every week. So in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. Dipsy also has sleep stories, wellness sessions, and now they also offer written stories. Um, It's your go-to place to spice up your me time, explore your fantasies or heat things up. Well, somebody will definitely be hot when they finish in that waiting room with a partner. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash straws. That's a 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash straws. Dipsystories.com slash straws. You're not in the waiting room in Hades. Go and get your sexy on. Okay, let's get to share your magnificence. So in this week's Share Your Magnificence, I'm talking to the amazing Rihanna Walcott, a baby girl, um, about her book, uh, together with um, the, the book that she put together with uh, Samara Linton, Dr. Samara Linton, um, they they had an initial edition out. I don't know if you remember the story of like this anthology that was put together by Rihanna and Samara and it ended up with um, a publisher who was actually a white supremacist and um, she was basically essentially showing her her feet in the chat. She was in the WhatsApp group and she sent a voice note into the um, WhatsApp group. And she was like saying, she actually mentioned them. She mentioned this book as well, because I guess they were saying to her, you're not really about it. We see you publishing black authors and doing all this woke shit, bitch. Um, and she came in and she tried to defend herself. But obviously as somebody was in there who wanted to get her got and they released, um, they released a voice recording from the WhatsApp group and everything kind of went downhill for her. And there was a whole battle to get this book from her, away from her. And, you know, we thank God that Samara and Rihanna were able to do um, an updated um, version, you know, a new edition of that book, which allowed for the contributors to either update what they had, um, you know, um, put in before or leave it the same and make some new additions um, along the way as well. So The Colour of Madness is the anthology, um, a groundbreaking collection edited by Dr. Samara Linton and Rihanna Walcott. Um, it's The Colour of Madness, Mental Health and Race in Technicolor. It says here, um, this book, which shares the poignant lived voices of the racialized experience, is a welcome contribution to the mission to heal and positively transform our mental health physical health and well-being. Um, The Colour of Madness is a groundbreaking collection that amplifies the voices of people of colour and their experiences with mental health. These are the voices of those who have been ignored. It's been updated for 2022. The uh, the Colour of Madness is a vital and timely tribute to all the lives that have been touched by medical inequalities and aims to disrupt the whitewashed narrative of mental health in the UK. Um, A compelling collection of memoir, 
essays, poetry, short fiction and artwork. This book will bring solace to those who have shared similar experiences and provide a powerful insight into the everyday impact of racism for those looking to further understand and combat this injustice. Um, Statistics show that people from black and minority ethnic backgrounds in the UK have not only experienced inadequate mental health treatment in comparison to their white counterparts, but are also more likely to be detained under the Mental Health Act from microaggressions, inherent bias, religious slash cultural influences and social stigma. People of colour are consistently fighting to be heard, believed and offered help beyond the need for ticking off diversity boxes. This book was first published in 2018. Editors Dr. Samara Linton and Rihanna Walcott ended their relationship with their previous publisher in 2021 when the press was linked to a far-right group. The editors have since collaborated with a new publisher and present this revised edition up and complete with more contributions and powerful artwork. Love that for them. Love that for them. Anyway, um, let me not talk too much. Um, let's get into uh, Rihanna, myself and Rihanna having this conversation about this wonderful, wonderful anthology that is um, so necessary. Enjoy. Rihanna, Rihanna, Rihanna. Welcome. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi. Like you've, you've really been out here. I feel like the last time we spoke, you were, we were talking about, what is it? Social media, Twitter specifically. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. I've kind of wrapped that up now. And um, congratulations. Well, I'm wrapping. Thank you. Yep. Submitted the thesis and yeah, almost done. Almost out of here. You're almost <laughs> there. So soon we'll be saying Dr. Rihanna Walcott. Absolutely. I mean, it's a shame I'll... they couldn't print that cover, but what can you do? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, amen. By the time the paperback is out. Will be Dr. Samara Linton, Dr. Rihanna Walcott. Come and see, come and see doctors. Come and see PhD. Yes. No, you deserve, you deserve because you're a brilliant mind, Rihanna. Like you're a, you're a brilliant person. Um, and you are a brilliant mind. Like even when I remember you um, messaged me about your, um, thesis that you were working on and we were talking about these things. And then you were giving me all this terminology regarding what I do on socials. And I was like, huh? Yeah. This is what? Not somebody it's, giving me the theory to the praxis. <laughs> it's so funny that you say that because that's like always everyone's like favorite part of my method section. Like I include mm-hmm. that little conversation we had in there. Um wow. and it's like, you know, the sort of me going, Hey, is it okay if I use this tweet? And you go, Yeah, sure. And then me say explaining how I want to use it. And you go, and, you know, and I've got this bit at the end of it where I'm like, Yeah, the ritual black women hyping each other up happens as part of this interaction. And it's mm-hmm. gone straight in my methods paper. It's so but no, no, I just I I think it's necessary because rarely do we get spaces where we could just big each other up and you know genuinely because there are there there are nuances and I think there are intricacies to the things that we see about each other that I don't generally feel like so I feel like sometimes it can be overlooked in the mainstream and Mm. what you're doing and it's ground shifting and what you're 27 now 28 as of a couple months yeah 28 look at that Saturn return doing all of the things (laughs) like 28 and you've you've done all of this like ground shifting work like it's 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 amazing but here we are and we're here to talk about the color of madness uh, which is an anthology that you um edited uh with dr samara linton and um this 
book has been on a journey. It really has. <laughs> it has been on a journey and not just the cover change. Like, and mm. of course, um, for the uh, listeners and people who are watching, I've already talked about what happened on a podcast before. We're not going to go into that. Like you could go to that episode and listen, but what was it like for you in terms of like putting your heart into creating such a book only to then discover that the person or the, you know, those who are responsible for publishing it might not have had the same view as you had for the importance of this. I think so. I mean, thinking about like all of the work that we do, Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Like what sort of fertile ground there is for it What kind of the fact that it comes out of this space of need This space of love You know, all of these things that we're doing Always come as like this project of deep love Within our community that we're doing for each other And for ourselves And then, you know, and even at Like obviously when I when Samara and I started the first edition We were 23 Wow 22. You know what I mean? And it's the it's the sort of thing where at the time I think we didn't realize like now with hindsight as a big 28-year-old. <laughs> you're a big woman. I'm now. A big woman, you're a now, big woman. <laughs> I sort of look back on that moment and I think what like naivety and trust that I had in that time. And it's something that is very sad to look at mm-hmm. because Perhaps some of the choices, the decisions I made then, I wouldn't be making now, didn't make now. But also you kind of can't fault yourself the sort of just hoping for the best that we did at that point. And you weren't to know. We didn't know. And and the thing is, we knew some things about the process weren't going right. Okay. But we had put that down and I still put this down to her sheer incompetency. Because this was incompetent. Uh, I was like, okay, that's just, that's just this white woman, this Mm well-meaning white woman Mm -hmm. that we're working Mm -hmm. with. She's really incompetent, but she's helping Mm -hmm. us get there. Samara and I often describe the process as we were doing it as like being like self-publishing, but without the control. Yes. Um, Very much. Oh, you're speaking my life. Everything. Everything Mm -hmm. that was happening was us. And we didn't know anything about the publishing industry. We didn't have an agent. We didn't have someone to look over the contract. We, um, I think we got like a friend who just done law. <laughs> and you need to read it over and be like, is there anything missing here? You know, we just were not, we did the best we could. And the thing about it is, at all, the, all of that said and done, I'm so proud of that first edition. Yes. It's still, the content is amazing. The cover, I think, is still very beautiful. I love that um, cover. I, I love this cover too, but I love that cover. Yeah, like we did. And it the picture is still in is the picture still in the book as well, right? Exactly. Like you know, we yeah. ran a competition for it. It was like you know, Samara and I weren't really didn't have the kind of platform that we have now. Mm-hmm. So we were, you know, the way that we were collecting contributors for it was about going to community events, grassroots led mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. asking. Or going to mental health organizations and asking them to pass it, you know, pass on the call. Yeah. For books. You know what I mean? The way that we put that together still was just this like very, um, like a very meaningful process that took a lot of work. And Samara was in her first year as a junior doctor. I was in my first year as a PhD. You know, it was, it was a very yeah. hectic time for both of us. And I'm still really proud of what we pulled together. However, we were very perhaps very naive we didn't know 
we well that I mean that was I mean what happened mm-hmm. I mean I don't think I would ever guess that <laughs> that's what I'm saying like who who would have known <laughs> like I don't go around thinking like raw you know today I just had lunch or whatever with a white supremacist like I how am I to know? How am I to know? When I was reading what happened, my mouth, when I tell you that my mouth was, my jaw was on the floor. Because mm. listening to that voice note or whatever voice that she just note. said, she was, and it was long as well. Like you are trying, you are d- explaining yourself. You are begging to Can be I accepted you, into this group. From the moment I heard that first teary in gas of breath, I knew. <laughs> was Guys, I uh, like, no. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, you don't know me, but and the thing is, I was like, the thing that was crazy to me is, like, I mean, this sort of like the white woman's tears being weaponized. I've never heard them be weaponized in that direction. So it was very white people, specifically white men. Yes. Like you're begging these white supremacist men. Like, no, I am one of you. Please, no, I am one of you. And yeah, you know, I published this thing by these BLM blacks. But, yeah. You know. You know, it's just yeah, it's very anti-white, but it's just for the money or whatever she said. And I just thought my blood ran cold because I said, "Yo, she's not the only one." You know, she just got caught. Yeah, she's not the only one. And And it's like all time I've had to be doing allegedly, allegedly. You know, (laughs) when I mean, she named us. Imagine she named you lot, and 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 then you've got from when from when the newspapers have covered it. I'm like, fam. It's a free for all now. Let's go. Like, this yes. is your voice. Like, this is your voice. Let's go. And I've already, I dragged her for filth on the pod. And like, I just hope that where she is, she's miserable because this book, this anthology is so important. Like I was going through the contributions. I was um, part of Scarlett Curtis's um, anthology yes. about mental health. And I wrote um, a piece called a Say In My Mind. And it talked about, um, you know, well, trigger warning in terms of um, self-harm and stuff. It talks about when I'd attempted to take an overdose and it's something that I, I don't think up until that point I'd never talked about and I had to think to myself nobody's ever asked me before like mm-hmm. what have you kind of gone through and maybe because of the way that I present like oh she's so confident she's so this she's so that it's been a very very arduous yeah. journey and I felt like it was important for people to kind of see that there are other elements to me to what brought me here and so it was and Although there were numerous and various um, contributors to that anthology, your anthology made me feel a bit more at home because it my experience wasn't a standout. You know, it wasn't it wasn't yes. like oh, it's, it wasn't alone. You know, so to read this, I you know that Farah Hassani also contributed. Like there are so many amazing people, and you yourself, you've um, you wrote something for this as well. Yeah, this time I did. I did contribute this time. I didn't do it the last time. Um, mm-hmm. I think bit overwhelmed with putting it together but this time I feel I really had and again the retrospective look at my life since we first started it sort of understanding mm-hmm. myself and my mental health journey a little bit better because we you know the first time I did the color of madness I think I was just starting you know I'd not had very much counseling I was just starting my, my antidepressants and things mm-hmm. like that very much at the start of the journey whereas this time round the book has come out we've done so much advocacy work you know yeah involved, you know like we're involved in so many different organizations yes you know the healthy brains global initiative and you know research mental health surveys and you know nhs research projects like we've done yes. so much work on the other end of it that i mm-hmm. finally felt like i was able to sort of talk about myself as more than just a facilitator 
true because that's how true. i see that's how i see me and samara we've um you know we we facilitated this collection mm-hmm. it's not like it's not ours you know it's but all the, of ours and it's, it's yeah it feels like that it feels like a and i love that it's about the colors it's about yeah. those things because life to me when i think about those experiences and i think about those moments it is there is a color there is a prevalent color there is something that you you know how everything kind of merges together um but you know it's friendships and you know the relationships that we make throughout our life produce various things but it's interesting Mm. that this between yourself and Samara produced this how did that come about like boom this is what we should do well, we we actually went to school together. Um, okay. We went to secondary school together. So did Paula, actually, as well. We so. <laughs> <laughs> got Paula. Very, yeah, man. <laughs> My girl. So we were up in um, up in North London at our secondary school, mm-hmm. and um, I think what sort of came out of it, and then our like you know splitting to go to different universities again, spending all of this time at such predominantly white institutions. And, um, you know, really experiencing, you know, that thing I think a lot of people experience when they go off into a predominantly white space and they start to think about their mental health and, and especially like starting at university, we know that there's a massive mental health crisis happening. Yes. In I was living up in Edinburgh. Tomorrow was living in Cambridge. We were both suffering. So so I gave a talk about mental health in the creative industries up at Edinburgh when I was at the end of my master's, just before I was about to start my PhD. Mm -hmm. And our publisher was in, well, our (laughs) our (laughs) ex-publisher at the time. And um, she basically... um, approached me afterwards being like have you considered writing a book about this like you know there needs to be more of these kinds of voices I know I know I know so (laughs) yes it's even more insidious like you 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 saw me you saw me giving my heart sharing talking Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she said off it anyway so yeah so she it was actually kind of her idea and then I was like I would like to like sort of put this together but I don't think I'll have the time to do it and then I ended up doing it um but Samara was like a really obvious choice for me because you know she was a doctor but she also was um you know very much a mental health advocate even at that time Mm -hmm. writing and publishing about BAME mental health in the UK and so we kind of came to it as like a like a practitioner patient duo mm-hmm, <laughs> almost. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then you know like as time has gone by we still very much embody both parts of those things within nice. us as well and it just yeah it made sense as uh like we <laughs> we're a really good partnership because Samara gets like really gets shit done yeah, <laughs> I cool. don't think I would have been able to pull through without having her on board honest because um she's very like I have yeah. kind of like, I'll do it in bursts and I'll probably yeah. do it quite well, but like not efficiently. Not She's consistently <laughs> like that. Like it's just like, it has to be where you, when you're, when you feel ready yeah. to. Yeah, I hear exactly that. Exactly like yeah. the, writing that poem. Like I wrote the poem in yeah. a city 
on my iPhone notes. And then I came mm-hmm. back to it and I was like, oh, that's a finished poem and put it in the, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so it's yeah. That kind of, that's, that's my sort of work process. And she's the kind that's like, you know, a lot more um, hireable. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to work with. And when you, did you, in terms of the editing process, did you go back to the contributors and, and, because, you know, like they're sharing their experiences of mental um, health, right? Or that, you know, the their mental health journeys and, and their perceptions of it and things like that. So did you feel like it was comfortable, easy to kind of go to them and be like, oh, maybe move this around and maybe do this because it's so right. personal. So it, we were very light touch editors, I think. Okay. Um, so the first time, the, the, I mean, the good thing, obviously, is that um, the second time around, it was a little easier because we'd already edited the first and like, you know, okay. the contributors had the time to sort of sit with it and think, actually, I would have like loads of people when we came back to them saying, would you like to revise your edition? Would you like to mm-hmm. add a postscript? Blah, blah, blah. Most people had already been thinking about the things that they would change wow. and add. And it was so rewarding because, I mean, the four years that have passed, Without fail, every single person has improved as a writer and artist wow. so much. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. All of the pieces just got so much better. Yes. Every like 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 every single one was just so much um richer. Yeah. Richer. Yes, people were adding post scripts explaining how their lives had changed. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, it was just it was absolutely amazing. So Your daddy's hiring me. So, <laughs> so that's the, you know, that was the whole thing. Like it just, it, it, it was so much better in that way. But absolutely, there were certain things that we had to think about. Like if someone is pouring out their like sort of like heart and soul in these sorts of things, you have to be very careful with how you, um, how you edit certain things. Yes. Um, that meant that perhaps, especially with things like poetry, right? It's mm-hmm. so personal. You know, people are writing about a very difficult time in their lives. We, you know, how can you tell someone, oh, like maybe we could cut this or whatever, you know? Yeah. Like, so we kind of we didn't put too much, like, you know, for the most part, we didn't give too many, um, like we weren't that prescriptive yeah, about yeah, what yeah, we were that. allowed to present or create. We had a lot of back and forth with people. Mm-hmm. If someone had said that they didn't like an edit and it didn't feel like their voice, we removed it. Do you know what I mean? Okay, we were very, yeah, yeah. very like, What's you know, it's so, we it's, yeah, it's so tender. It's so, I was, you know, as I was work, make, make, like making my way through the book, like it just feels like you're getting this very, you're getting this insight into people's lives and you're almost like, should I be here? But you, at the same time, you know that you're invited to be there. One of my favorites is um, Disclaimer. Is it by Mika Montana, Mika? It's so funny that you say that because literally the last um, call that we had about this, this came up as well. I know exactly what poem you're about to read. Isn't it beautiful? <laughs> but um, I do not mean to make psychosis seem romantic, but neither will I accept that the experience is tragic. Let's just say it is part of what happens when a universe discovers it is wrapped in human fabric. I said, my gee, right? Right. Wow. That is Samara's favorite as well. That and the poem that follows it. So we've got, you know, the the CIA. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Discovery. Yeah. Yeah. Say it's about time. Simply reply. It's about time. Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, what is it? Don't get caught on the metaphors. Simply reply, it's about time. Yes. Yes. I think that that was such a, 
because I mean, that's one of the things that's so wonderful about having such a broad, uh, a breadth of experience in here, yes. breadth of, con- you know, people talking about different conditions, different, um, you know, mixture of ages and life experiences and so on, because for a lot of people, um, thinking about psychosis or whatever is, um, is a very one, the way that it is presented yes. in our media, in like medical terms is on a very one note way. Yes. And, you know, the idea that this person is like thinking about it in terms of seeing more, in terms of having, uh, like, I think this section is in the uh, violet. violet, right? Yeah. Which is what we are thinking about more like spiritual, metaphysical ways of looking at, you know. And you, so you already knew that was going to be my bag. You already knew that. I mean, I love, you know, all the chapters. Exactly. But to me, that when we got to there, and it's like Violet, and sometimes we see in Violet, we see in yeah. dreams and visions, we see through further, we see the otherworldly. I felt, when I say like I... I, I commend you both because, and you know, all of the contributors because I felt seen, I felt at home specifically oh, so in that section because the otherworldly, like when you're trying to explain things to people, like or you know, I've had therapists in the past that I'm trying to explain things to them, and I need us to move out of words. I need us to move out of our current understanding of words so you can understand what I'm trying to convey to you right now. Mm-hmm. But they're so kind of confined to mm-hmm. what it means. The, the use of English specifically Because if we were to switch it up to Yoruba Maybe I would have more of an expansive way oh. Of um, ex, you know expressing what I'm feeling But if we are staying within the confines of this rigid English You don't listen to what I'm now saying And be like, oh, so this must be what's happening here No, listen to what is happening behind the words Or in what and around the words that's a yeah, really and and I think that that's what's captured, you know, especially in Violet. For me, it's about the otherworldly. It's about the fact that we live in a white supremacist heteropatriarchal society that's robbed people, try to like um, deaden people's cultures, and what they've always understood that we are a part of so much more, and they make it, they pathologize it, so you move away from it. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so I think that this. Yeah, it just spoke to me. I think that I it's I love poetry so much, but um, and I just felt like that. Just that. Let's just say it's part of what happens when a universe discovers it's wrapped in human fabric. I thought that's exactly what I feel that I have been experiencing all my life. Like how expansive I feel myself to be, but I'm still in the confines of this body. But I love that it's wrapped, not trapped, not anything. Just yes. literally wrapped. Oh. Not. Nah. Woo, you know, and you know, I focus on. I've, I've mentioned that, but there's so much. There's so much in this anthology. Wow, I do think that, like, you know, part of it was um, it can be so difficult to place some of these mm-hmm. because exactly what you're saying about, you know, the idea of being, um, you know, of having different languages to speak through, in having, you know, belonging in different places, and just the way that Violet as a chapter worked. Mm-hmm. I think. So much of that is so um, central to the experience of being a person of colour in this country, speaking about your experiences, that there yeah. is a lot of those threads in a lot of these pieces. So it was the same thing as when we were thinking about, um, like, green, for instance, is the section that talks about relationships, that talks about um, intimacy and love and family, rela- you know, like, from the mm. family relationship to the romantic and all sorts of things like that. And 
so many of our pieces belonged could belong there yes that it was like or you know so I think it's wonderful that you have read this and thought this is the chapter for me that like I can understand that that this postscript and this section specifically speaks to me because we've deliberately put it together in such a way yeah. that this book reads differently to you depending where you are. True. Time of life you're in as well, because you should True. be able to grab, you know, a different chapter for different reasons, or you should, you know, and the same thing because, you know, we're thinking about accessibility Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that we were so happy to be able to include this time round was an index, which oh, wasn't wow. in the first edition. Okay. So it's just thinking about like being able to, um, you know, to dip in and out of this and not feel like this needs to be read in a linear sort of way. True. It's True. The fact that we've got this polychrome insert in the middle. Yes. You know, post postscripts in case that you did want to... Um, you know, like engage with some images or poetry as opposed mm-hmm. to, you know, I think that that's um, a really important part of thinking through um, this work in general. Yeah. And big up Nene Patel for that first, Oh yeah, you know, the first cover as well. Like, you know, I just think it's beautiful that it is broken up, broken up. It's, it's, it's kind of constructed in such a way that you do have things to like you to really engage with in terms of the artwork that's there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just so much. There is so much here that is absolutely incredible. The Inner World by um, Tosin Akinkumi. Yeah, banger. I was just looking at that too. Banger, <laughs> banger, banger. I think that that's like, and also some of our artists have been able to return and add mm-hmm. to you know, add, update their, even their images and so on. And you get to yes. see this, the growth in what people are thinking, how people are thinking about their art and so on. Yeah. Um, we've yeah. got what Cognitive Distortions in Colour by Ms. Pena Hashimoto. The catastrophizing, mm-hmm. um, the way that that's depicted as well as minimization. Of, it's just great. It's great. Like, I just, I, oh. Yeah, being able to reach out to people as well who had been, um, you know, we went to different organizations that um, are like mental health organizations that work with um, mm-hmm. art as, as art therapy and so on as well. And that was like part of where we were asking people, you know, if they would be happy to, to submit these kinds of works as well. So yeah. we've been very fortunate in being able to pull together um, people from so many different places. Nice, phenomenal work. And I'm so excited that we would, you know, that we could get to speak about it. And yeah. I, you know, there's so much to cover and talk about. And I, and I, I just think it's a journey. And I love what you say about it not being read in a linear manner because that's literally, I didn't read it in a linear fashion. I looked through everything and then something caught my eye with a title. And I was like, oh, I'm going to go and read that. I'm going to go and read that. And that's how I ended up working through the book by going to different things and everything so many of the um, contributions touched me in different ways. And as you say, like tomorrow I can come back to you and it's another, it's another piece. It's another contribution that's got me like really focused. I just think that, yeah, it, it, it's necessary. And I would recommend that everybody has this, not just on their bookshelf, like really has this, like really takes time to really read this. Um, because, and, and so in terms of that, where are we going from here? Oh, 
Right. Well, we've got the, um, we've still got yet to have the paperback edition come out. That will come out in 2023. Um, um, we are, you know, thinking about audio book rights and so on, because part of the reason why it's assembled in this way and part of the reasons why it would matter for us to have an audio book, you know, ideally mm-hmm. if it gets snapped up, is that we want to think about all of the different ways that people access this and to be thinking, yes. you know, inclusively about ableism and so on as well, because mm-hmm. um, when it comes to being neurodivergent and when it comes to having all the, you know, so many different mm-hmm. mental conditions, I mean, it can be difficult to sit down and read a book, but it yes. might be easier to listen to a podcast or it might be easier to pop in and read a, a haiku and then come out again. Do you know what I mean? Nice. I really want to make sure that it's accessible in those different ways, which is why it's also an ebook and so on. And we're very, very um, focused on making sure that it gets onto university curricula. Oh, it will. Is NHS. Yeah, some people have already contacted us to say that they've put it on their syllabus. And, nice. they, you know, we always are trying to get copies of it into mental health wards as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the first edition, it was in mental health wards, it was in NHS libraries, all sorts of things like that. And, you know, just making sure that we're working with yeah. the people it's meant to reach. Do you yes. know what I mean? Yes. More important to us than anything else is that this book gets into the hands of the people who need it. Yeah. And not just like the psychotherapists and, the, and those people and the psychologists, not about, but I do hope that through that reading this anthology <laughs> that they really update their learning because as we can't get around the fact that the mental health landscape, as we know it, um, in mm-hmm. terms of mental health care, as we know it, is a white supremacist patriarchal 100%. construct in and of itself. Like that it was constructed so white men of um, upper and you know middle and upper class could think about themselves constantly, and then <laughs> and then use that to be misogynistic about hysteria and this that this. So and we know that. Comes, yeah, of course. And when it comes mm-hmm. to you know treatment of people of color in this country and so on, and when we're thinking about the models of health and well being, what we yes. Looking well and being well looks like so many experiences of people that are, you know, like in this collection, in my day to day life of talking mm-hmm. to other people and having these kinds of events. And you see that, you know, they're the people they're working with are trying to get them to a construction of normal. Exactly. That doesn't suit us, you know, no. like. I'll never forget Sharu Izadi when we were on a panel together years ago. She mentioned talking to a therapist and them saying, oh, it sounds like your family is codependent, you know, experiencing codependency. And she went, no, we're Iranian. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) And it was just that to me where I sort of thought, yes, because if we're looking at very specific patriarchal understandings of what the family unit looks like. It's, there's no way, there's no way that we can be expected to fit into that. You know, anyone who isn't, you know, cis, het, white, like, how could you do it? You can't, it doesn't make sense. That's not your unit. So I just what thought that, that, yeah. really, that has really stayed with me forever because I'm thinking when we are thinking about the modes of how to be well mm-hmm. and the criteria of what a good and happy and healthy life looks like, that's not built with us in mind. So we have to it's, build it ourselves. It's really we not. And then to. we're using this, we're using this language and almost like we are then 
put into Of course there are certain things That we do need to take from You know From from these uh, From the like this discourse And, and you know The various uh, The varying discourses Like yeah we, we don't want situations Where we are relied upon In a way that are You know Mothers And their mothers Mothers yeah. were relied upon And we Of course we want to address Those things But at the same time We understand that Community and family Are That mm-hmm. is how we survive That is how we thrive But if you And the important thing Is that we have to address it Not we some to, other no, Exactly not your model and that focus focuses on this hyper individualistic very stoic mm-hmm. way manner of being where you don't give a damn about anybody else but you like no like it, so I love that I absolutely love that and I think that this would help people to normalize their own experiences and not feel othered because imagine like just feeling othered for the way mm. that your brain works like it, the thing it's is a lot. this has to be the start point this has mm-hmm. to be like the beginning of a, a head. Oh God, I sound like such a kid. The beginning of the conversation. But what I mean is, <laughs> you know, we've pulled together a number of people. We're aware that, you know, Samara and I's like a lot of this being pulling in together people to talk about this. We've not scraped the top of things, you know, mm-hmm. Samara and I are two black women. Mm-hmm. We have our spheres of interest and influence overlap in a very serious way so whilst we've done our best to ensure that this book is um you know very inclusive there is still a point where you say well we're in the UK yeah and this isn't the whole of the conversation at all Mm. and you know Samara and I are both two university educated black women like there's um there's going to be Certain like, and there's also communities who aren't as comfortable speaking up or wouldn't be as True. comfortable being placed in here. True. One yeah. of the things that we noticed the first time round that we've tried to address is that we had a quite a lack of straight black men. Oh, okay. Did they want to talk? Well, uh, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, you <laughs> but know, but, but, but I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's this sort of like perhaps they didn't want to talk to us. You know, like that's 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 more than reasonable. That's valid too. So it can't be, you know, when Samara and I were doing this, we we're really trying to steer clear of like firstism, you know, yes, first yes. of its kind and all that sort of thing. Because to us, that's just desperately sad. It's you know, very sad. yeah, it's very, very sad. sad and anything. it's so limiting. So limiting. limiting. Yeah. Because the first doesn't mean it should be the last. Like, let there be many, yeah. many of these. There could yeah. be editions of these, and you know, there's a one of the things that we're involved in that I'm most proud of that I think speaks to this, um, the, the, the sort of capacity that this has to do is there's an NHS research project that's um, finishing up soon or, you know, still going for another couple of years called Project Neon, which is um, about like, and we have submitted lots of stories from the anthology to this research project. Mm-hmm. Idea is that they are looking at how um lived experience narratives, recovery narratives, and, you know, these kinds of stories that are written by, for, about us mm-hmm. can be um, used in mental health support. Mm-hmm. So the idea is that, like, the same way that, like, when you're reading this, you sort of perhaps feel like you read something and it speaks to your experience and you feel better afterwards. They're basically trying to look at the, not as, like, a sole source of, um health care or anything but like in addition like is it helpful to see of you know just to read these narratives as part Mm -hmm. of mental health service provision especially can so it's like a you know it it speaks to my love of like digital projects as well and my research but it's like basically you go onto this website 
and you know you answer some questions about yourself and then algorithms match you with stories that would be most likely to help you in that wow and it just seems like a really and you know one of the things that was so important to us about making sure that the color of madness was included in there is because there's such a historical problem with um, non-white voices being included in the planning for mental health services and advocacy. So we wanted to make sure we were in there right from the beginning. So that's the yeah. kind of thing that I hope for from this book. I hope that, I, I'm in two minds about it. I hope that it will continue to be used as something that will make our lives tangibly better. Something mm-hmm. that makes its way into um, offices and libraries and, you know, syllabus for, especially for mental health practitioners. I think that people who are working in mental health in this country need to be addressing our stories and understanding that we have differing needs. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. So I I want it to do that. I also really, really want for it to just be also appreciated and loved for being a really lovely work. It is. Some of yeah. the people in there are such like you know it's it's the the gems and some of the art and some of the poetry in there is right up there with the best yeah yeah hands <laughs> you know? down hands and I down don't, I don't want us to continually be pigeonholed into like just we're just like like obviously the the advocacy stuff is really near and dear to us as well yes of I course. Also really want everyone in here to be appreciated as brilliant artists and creatives yeah, in their own right and and right. that really really comes across and especially because what you've put here is the dedication is that for those past and present who were not able to tell their stories for those who told their stories but were not heard for those who were stealing themselves waiting for their moment to speak ah, i said yo that <laughs> That is, you know, that is, we talk about healing not being linear, but that that dedication in and of itself speaks to the the universality of healing, that it can go, it can time travel, um, and it changes things. It changes those, those who have been waiting for this, for the, this moment, those who try to speak and work, work that, you know, they weren't heard because we know that people have. So I think that that's why it was important when you said, like, don't do that, don't do the first thing because people have been trying. It's not for a lack of trying. So we, yeah. we, we pay homage to that. We show the respect to that while we continue to build. So thank you both to yourself and Samara for, for, you know, going out there and doing what needs to be done. And as you say, it's about us seeing more, you know, seeing more, 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 you know, varying um, and various experiences so we can truly learn what it means to be where we are because we mm. currently just don't know. We don't know. There's so much more room for these conversations. Like it's mm-hmm. just the iceberg. And like, you know, again, we are thinking about this in a very specific UK context. I'd also love to see, you know, because so much of my work focuses on the diaspora and focuses on like global understandings of health. Because I think what this under like this does is this speaks to the experience of seeking healthcare in a predominantly white country where mm-hmm. You know, in the imperial center, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What does it look like in the ex colonies? What does it look Ooh. like in the Caribbean? What does it look like in different like African countries? How does it look in America? Do you know true, what I mean? True. Obviously, we were focusing on what we know at this point as well, and understanding how we work within the British, the very specific NHS or British context. Mm-hmm. But I think there's just. I think, you know, what you said just now about the fact that it's not that people haven't been speaking. Mm. It's 
you know, it's not that people haven't been speaking. So I'm mm-hmm. very, very interested in seeing how people speak in their own language about it. True. You know? But when we're talking about things and when, you know, you're saying you, you said you had the, maybe would have the words to say something about this in Yoruba, but not maybe mm-hmm. not in, in, not easily in English. I'm thinking, what about the fact that a lot of these conversations are happening in spaces that we're not necessarily privy to right now? True. What happens when these conversations are happening in the barbershop and when they're happening in the church and, you know, like what, or yeah. these conversations are happening, but the language is different. Like one of the things that came across um, in some of the conversations surrounding this book is that um, when certain cultures, um, I, I want to say South Asian cultures is mm-hmm. where, this came from it's not my wheelhouse um I was thinking about organizations like Taraki mm-hmm. which focuses on Punjabi men's mental health but um sometimes when they talk about their mental health they communicate it in a way that sounds physical so you mm-hmm. might be saying oh I have a stomach ache but actually you're talking about mental health and I just oh. thought that was so interesting such an interesting way of putting wow. that you know because you've always got people saying stuff like oh in this language they don't even have the word for xyz you know right, that thing that right and, and it's so weird and like it's even weird. That, yeah yeah it's, it's not true it's just yeah okay it's they don't have to convey differently yeah it's conveyed differently well, then Do they you have the word for what they're talking about over there you don't have the word either exactly so when they're saying stomachache they mean depression and they know what they mean and they know what they mean word. exactly because sometimes so, you're feeling heartache and you're, you're, it's like your guts are twisting together. It's not like you feel your heart so breaking. Bodily. Yeah, you, it's not like you it's necessarily feel so your bodily. heart breaking. You can feel like your mm. gut just like twisting in on itself. You feel heartache in the stomach. Exactly. You feel heartache in the stomach. And you we all know that. Right, but we say heartache. Did you get what I mean? Like mm. there's so much. We, we Coming back to the body is so important and we've been told to move out of it. But then when we move into this purely cerebral place, when we're exploring what's possible, there, it's like, don't do that either. So where can we be? Where can we be? We can't be in our body. We can't be in our head. Where can we be? Mm-hmm. It's about finding that place. And I'm really interested in seeing where people put that in their own language. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. like how, how does this conversation track? So, you know, that might not be my next step. But, <laughs> but it's sounding but juicy, really? especially the Caribbean. It's sounding juicy. Oh, very good. You know, I don't, just give me a reason to run over there. <laughs> I don't need much. <laughs> we'll be up in the West Indies. You'll just be going to fly. Exactly. And I am moving to America in like a month. Wow. So. Oh yeah, I'm I'm I've I've accepted a postdoc, a two-year postdoc at <gasps> the University of Maryland. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, thank you. Wow, congratulations. Thank you so Not much. you getting out of this Babylon. <laughs> yeah, but to, to go where? To where? To go with you. <laughs> to wow. Work with you. Come on. Right. So, so I'm, yeah, I'm moving to DC. That's amazing. That oh is God. absolutely amazing. And, and I love that your uh, kind of, you know, your journey of discovering all of these things means that you do literally get to travel and and see the world and, and I've been saying that I feel like even when I make my videos and I do this and I do that it's from such a very it's a, such a specific viewpoint or from through a specific lens that I see the world and thus share my opinions but I do want to travel more and mm. I pray like the universe opens up for me in that way to travel more <laughs> yeah so I could just you know what are people experiencing over there? What are people, because then it adds so much texture and layers mm. to when I'm talking about these things, because I understand the universal experience. And then you can kind of see the bigger picture and what we're really dealing with 
you know, because this country is limiting. It's limiting in, you know, being able to perceive and social media can only offer you up so much, but no, thank you so much, Rihanna, for speaking with me and big up yourself for all of the things you're doing and big up Samara, like, and all the contributors. Thank you so, so much. Thank you so much for having me. Like, honestly, this has been such a wonderful, like, wonderful start to the day. I'm really sure. I was like, it'll be 15 minutes. <laughs> and then here we are. I, I knew, I knew damn well. <laughs> From when I blocked up two hours, I said, there's no way. There's no way. <laughs> No, but no, but I'm glad you did because when when the work is this rich, we have to just go through. We have to go through it all, and I'm, and I can't wait for more people to read this edition specifically. This edition specifically, oh, as we so go, as, <laughs> we have to, we have to. Oh, you know, it's it's amazing work. No, thank you so much. So there you have it. A wonderful conversation with Rihanna Walcott, who um, is moving to, probably has moved by now to America. So I hope you're living your best life. Um, well, now, now time to big up the second show sponsor for this week, and that is Better Help. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. That's Better H E L P because I know some of you are just typing very, very wild things on the on the internet. Um, what I loved about that interview with Rihanna was like looking at the fact that um, they didn't stay stuck on the problem. I mean, sometimes it is hard for us to move beyond the problem, right? But they didn't stay stuck on the problem and they found a solution in finding a new publisher for their work because they understood that the journey um, that people had with their mental health. And, you know, I gave examples of the poems that really, really stuck with me um, in that anthology. You know, we've seen that there are different ways, like, that people go about interacting uh, with the mental health services or even like they're just their own personal experience of their own mental um, health issues. Um, it can be tough to train your brain to say, uh, or, to, you know, to stay in a problem solving mo- um, mode when faced with a challenge in life. But th- when you learn how to find your own solutions, there is no better feeling. A therapist can help. They can help you become a better problem solver. Um, They can help you to make it easier to accomplish your goals, no matter how big or small. I found that therapy has really helped me because during this time, like what I love about therapy is like, even if I'm making a decision that isn't like my best decision to date, I pretty much know why I'm making it. I know what the contributing factors are and I, I am ready for the consequences. And I think that that is a fairly healthy place to be rather than just kind of like going through the, um, the, the motions of things mindlessly and, you know, um, lacking with, you know, lacking in intention, like that can really play with you. So, I encourage you, I encourage people to um, have somebody to talk to and talk with and um, talk about their problems and their, you know, no, sometimes even not problems, just life generally, your perspectives, you get to talk through those things with somebody. So if you're thinking of giving therapy a try, try BetterHelp. It's a great option. It's convenient, accessible, affordable, and entirely online. Get matched with a therapist after filling out a brief survey and switch therapists at any time. Uh, when you want to be a better problem solver, when you just want to go through life stress-free, not showing your feet in a chat, proverbially, visit betterhelp.com slash your mind. Get uh, 10% off your first month when you sign up. That's betterhelp.com slash your mind when you use that code. And yeah, go and start living your bestest life.
So this week in So You Mad, (laughs) madness is rife everywhere. It's just been the weirdest time, isn't it? It just feels so like dystopian, just the people queuing like fucking idiots and just like people being upset that, you know, this person is, or this character has been played by a black person. It's like hatred, anti-blackness is pervasive in every single thing that we are observing um, well, that I am observing in my immediate kind of environment, like it's it's actually wild. It's that's the only way that I can describe it. It's actually actually wild. Like who knows what's going to happen in the space of time between this recording coming out, that Jankro being put in the earth, and the live show. You know, I oh, sometimes it just feels like I'm barely holding on, truly, because you're telling me that I signed up for this. Like, I can't wait to kind of be, you know, in some kind of communion with my higher self. And I just want to be like, bitch, we signed up for this. But I say that, but at the same time, obviously, there are brilliant parts to this life. There are many um, beautiful moments in this life. And I just want to be able to enjoy as many of them or to create create as many of them as possible. Notice as many of them as possible, you know. Um, so I'm going to start with the first one, as I mentioned, this racist backlash over Halle Bailey um, from Chloe and Halle, the protege of um, Beyonce. Um, people are upset upset that the gorgeous, gorgeous Halle Bailey with a phenomenal voice is playing Ariel in The Little Mermaid, the live action version of The Little Mermaid that's uh, coming out soon. Um and it's, yeah, it's just extremely wild. Uh, it's had over a million dislikes on YouTube. Why? Because the trailer came out and then, you know, like people are so bored. There's so much, there's so little. I've, no, let me phrase, rephrase that. There's so much and yet so little happening in people's lives that a trailer come, come, uh, can come out. It's only a few seconds long and people have already started to write every think piece under the sun about the you know, the little that they've seen. The particular uh, kind of trailer that we see is of Ariel, Hallie. Um, she's under the sea, under the sea, but she's she's clearly in some kind of cave under the sea. And um, Lev, go and sit down. She's killing some kind of cave under the sea. And so it's dark and people are already talking about the color grading. But I think that is because um, that Annie, um, is it Annie Leibovitz or whatever her name is, Leibovitz, she's traumatized us with the way that she keeps taking photographs for Vogue. But you know, there might be a reason that the grading looks this way because if you look at her tail, um, it's very shiny and blue and beautiful. So, you know, it could just be that particular scene, but then you have to ask yourself, why did they choose that scene? Like they could have chose chosen a more, I don't know, vibrant scene, a vibrant scene, a vibrant scene, a vibrant scene. Well, but you know, it is what it is. I don't know too much about all of these things because I don't tend to get involved. Like I said, I'm really in my own world right now. So I see certain things and I focus on certain things. Everything else kind of like passes me by. But yeah, over a million dislikes on YouTube from white people who are angry that a black girl gets to play Ariel because they're like, oh, it means less representation for us. What what would happen if we played um a white somebody did a mock-up of Mel Gibson as Martin Luther King and I was like first of all let's just start with the fact that Ariel is not a real person Martin Luther King was a real person but it just goes to show how you racist motherfuckers don't actually know 
anything about anything. And so to you, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, you know, all of them people might as well, you know, have just been fictional. They might have just been folklore because you, they, they do not permeate your immediate consciousness. They just do not. So you can do that. But at the same time, Jesus was a real person and you lot made him white. Like that was your biggest rebrand of all time. Like that was your biggest whitewashing of all brands you, of all time. You took Jesus and you made him white. You gave, you gave, you gave Jesus. Sometimes you gave him a blonde blowout. You gave him a, you know, you gave him a blonde sort of Farrah Fawcett sort of, you know, you know, flow with that, you know, those bangs. You gave Jesus a bang, a blonde bang. Other times you'd, you'd let him be a bit darker, you know, you'd let him serve those looks, you know, doing tall, dark and handsome. <laughs> it's funny how a lot of people were like, I didn't know that white women were actually talking about white men when they would use that description. But, you know, you would do all of that, but you made Jesus white. His hair is described as being the texture of wool in the, di- in, in the diary, <laughs> in the Bible. Yet you went and just did whatever you liked. Zeus did not look like how you lot are making Zeus out to be A lot of the Greek mythology that you showed us and You know, you did Gladiator You showed us Persians And why is it that whenever you lot make these films Everybody's got a British accent They'll be in Persia And man's got a Cockney accent What? It's a very weird state of affairs But the fact of the matter is You whitewash people You did a motherfucking film called The Prince of Egypt Or Princess of Egypt Whatever the fuck And all them motherfuckers were white Christian Bale This, that, this, that So don't now start talking about Oh, and and the, and these were actual people That were, that have existed throughout history Ariel In case some of you did not know Ariel did not exist I'm not saying mermaids do not exist because I wouldn't be that silly to say that Like we've only seen so much of the ocean And for this to be a thing that we see so much in Throughout the world It's not just in Europe Like African, um, you know, artefacts have shown Them drawing like mummy water Like they've shown different drawings of like African mermaids and things like that Before um, interacting with Europe So I personally, you know me on my woo-woo ting I personally, I'm not discounting mermaids I'm just saying that Ariel specifically is not real, right? That fire engine red that her hair is None of you lot have that So relax, relax But if you're going so hard for this Because again, I'm going to take it somewhere I'm going to take it somewhere This is about the power of imagination whether people realize it or not, they are so shit scared of black people collectively across the world honing in on their power to imagine, being able to see themselves in other ways other than the um, the violent and repressive ways and oppressive ways that we've been presented. That is what's scaring people. Like, how dare you also have um, a rich a world of fantasy too? Like you don't deserve that Because if you if, if you start having those things Then you know what happens then Then you're going to you know want even more rights And then you're going to want even more of this Whether they realise those things consciously or not There is something about the world being seen As more equal and accessible for all That is really fucking them up Like we had it the other week Was, with, uh, was it the um, House of Dragon? Is it of the house of the dragon? Somebody said that black people always adding S's to things. But um, 
We had it with that. Like, oh, why are there black people here? You don't want black people in fantasy. You don't want black people in real life. You pretty much just don't want black people. Like, And we get it. We get it. But this is a fantasy world and we're going to be in the places that we're going to be okay. And this is why I'm saying that I'm very much looking forward to not giving, well, I've probably given it away, but I'm looking forward to the announcement on Thursday. Should it happen? Because again, spanner in the works and things like that. But it is, imper- it's, it is imperative that we work to create alternate universes or alternate uh, alternative timelines where black women, for me, specifically black women exist and they exist in a way that they also get to play with the other world, um, you know, the otherworldly aspects of life. Because actually we inhabit the otherworldly kind of these liminal spaces throughout our lives. So why not, why not add some sparkle? Why not add some glitter to it is pretty much what I'm saying. You see it. So anyway, let's get back to Hallie. So with all the racist um, remarks that people have been making that, oh, this is stopping white girls from feeling represented as if they're not represented in every fucking space. Um, I'm reading the CNN piece that says, ever since Disney released the first look for its 2023 live action remake of The Little Mermaid, the internet has been sodden with wave after wave of racist critics complaining that Ariel, the completely fictional underwater fish woman, shouldn't be black. Hashtags like, and not my aerial are bouncing around social media and YouTube hid the dislike counter on the official video after it was bombarded by with racist uh, comments and more than 1.5 million dislikes. Imagine that that's 1.5 million racists. Definitely. That's a large number, you know, that's a large number. One group of critics went as far as to share a digitally altered version of the teaser that featured a white woman in place of the movie star Halle Bailey, who they call a woke actress. And again, the way that they keep using woke because they don't want to use the word black or it's their new version of black before it was BLM. They were calling actual people BLM as in Black Lives Matter. You fucking idiots. Grandma is beyond you. When you want to be racist, like grandma really goes out of the window. Um... By now, we know it's not unusual to see racist responses whenever a person of colour is cast in a role considered traditionally white. While there are plenty of legitimate reasons to dislike a movie, these critics often hide their discomfort behind other thin arguments, claiming historical or cultural accuracy or, of all things, science. Here are some real arguments people have levied to protest the casting choice. The facts prove they just don't hold water. The original Little Mermaid story was written by Hans Christian Andersen and first published in 1837. If we're going to dignify this argument, according to the text, Ariel and the rest of her mermaid kin are um, are from far out in the ocean, literally the opening lines of the story at the bottom of the sea. So not Denmark or anywhere near it. If critics are truly worried about staying faithful to the original story, we shouldn't gloss over the original ending where the mermaid is instructed to kill her prince, but throws the knife away way in despair and dissolves this um, into sea foam instead not to mention while the 1989 disney version has a prince eric with bright blue peepers anderson specifically described the prince as having coal black eyes and raven hair also the little mermaid who doesn't even have a name in the original story isn't real from a scientific perspective, it doesn't make a lot of sense to have someone with darker skin who lives deep in the ocean. So um, so says a far-right pundit, Matt Walsh, who opined that 
um, about the Little Mermaid casting on the Matt Walsh show. He claims he framed the comment as a joke since he goes on to say that not only should the Little Mermaid be pale, she should actually be translucent. However, the context of this um, comment is still racially charged and he still implies pale skin is closer to a scientific mermaid than dark skin but again we know how racist science is we know that i'm just saying that's kelechi we know how racist science is anyway again if we're going to take an academic look at these unnecessary bits of discourse not all um abyssal creatures are pale not all underwater creatures are pale also um, since mermaids also uh, get close enough to the surface to see other humans, if you want to look at it scientifically, mermaids would probably have a specific type of pigmentation that allowed for both a deep sea and a shallow water experience. We also know that centuries ago, seafarers often mistook one particular animal for a mermaid, the manatee, which is not pale. Also, the little mermaid isn't real. Claim, mermaids are a European mythological figure and therefore Ariel should be white. Numerous Twitter scraps have cropped up with people trying to argue European folklore or even Homerian epics like the Odyssey um, having some sort of monopoly on the idea of mermaids. In reality, it's fascinating to see how many different cultures throughout history have arrived at parallel folklorical themes. Humanoid creatures that dwell in the water are part of innumerable mythologies around the world. East Asian and Oceanic folklore is replete with stories of underwater kingdoms and mare people, both good and evil. From the uh, Majindara in some Philippine regions to the tale of the Indian princess Suritratna um, or Huang Ok um, that reached South Korea. Middle Eastern folktales compiled... Um, in the classic Arabian Nights collection, which dates back more than a thousand years, features several accounts of sea-dwelling human creatures. In parts of continental Africa and among the African diaspora, folklore describing water spirits, oftentimes in the shape of beautiful women, are common. According to Shona mythology in Zimbabwe, the Njuzu are mermaids who occupy lakes or rivers. Also, not all Europeans are white. Also, the little mermaid isn't real. Claim making Ariel black is ruining childhoods and changing the character. On message boards and comment sections across the internet, people are debating whether a new dark-skinned Ariel somehow negates or erases the classic 1989 version. Disney's 1989 The Little Mermaid is still available to watch, own and share. The animated character of Ariel is part of Disney's wildly profitable Disney's, uh, Disney Princess uh, franchise and her name and image are valuable and heavily trademarked Disney properties. The red-haired, fair-skinned Ariel is here to stay. Far from ruining childhoods, many fans think making a different iteration of Ariel will only increase the Disney magic. Just look at the sweet reactions of young black children and the praise of Disney icons like Jodie Benson, the voice of the original Ariel. More importantly, the remake of one film doesn't erase the existence of the previous films. 1999's Mr. Darcy and 2005's Mr. Darcy live in harmony with every other character from the roughly 300 Pride and Prejudice film remakes. Pennywise looks different in every it iteration as does Frankenstein's monster the story of Cinderella which predates even the famous Brothers Grimm version um, seems to have a different remake out every year 
One notable version, 1997's Rodgers and Hammerstein's Cinderella, featured a racially diverse cast that included singer Brandy as the first black Cinderella and Whitney Houston as the fairy godmother. It aired on TV as part of the wonderful world of Disney. While Disney has produced a very famous iteration of The Little Mermaid, it isn't the first, only or universally definitive work. No one owns the concept of mermaids or what they look like. A white, redhead, animated teenager is not the only version of The Little Mermaid to exist. Also, and this is very important, the Little Mermaid isn't real I just want to big up the um, author of that So that was um, A.J.A. Willingham That wrote that for CNN I just wanted to like read the whole thing I hope I'm allowed In its entirety Because let's just start there The Little Mermaid isn't real Yet you lot want to fight up and down Because it's not about the Little Mermaid It's like how dare black people have things How dare these Negroes These nignogs have the effrontery, the gall, the temerity to have things. Baby, many people audition for that role, you know. I doubt that they just went, Hallie, babe, do you want to do this? Many people sang their clots out and off because they wanted to play Ariel. But you know who got it? The best person for the job. And that isn't that what you motherfuckers are always telling us all the time. Look, I don't mind who gets anything as long as they get it because, you know, of their talent. You know, I don't think we should just be doing diversity things to just let anybody through. Meanwhile, you're there and you're fucking useless. I just think that too many things are going in, too many things are happening. And seeing people saying all of those things in real life, um, in real time, it can be really, really frustrating. In other So You Mad news, um, Cardi B has pled guilty to the assault in the third degree and reckless endangerment in the second degree for her role in a 2018 assault of two sisters at a strip club in Queens. Cardi admitted to paying an acquaintance $5,000 to beat up a woman who worked at the club. So if you remember, this was when she was really, really stressed about offset. Um, she was really stressed about what he was doing, you know, with his peen and you just getting herself into trouble, getting herself into, you know, bear mix up and blend blend. And she just, I feel like, I hope that she, I'm, I bet I'll say that. And she's just going to do something else. I pray Lord, no. Oh, I hope that she's grown from there because, and, and I feel like, I hope that she's kind of gained this deep understanding that men generally will just embarrass you. Like don't go and do too much. And by too much, I don't mean like living, you live your life and, you know, with trusting until people give you a reason not to trust all of them things. But I'm saying like, he went to cheat. Why are you going to beat up the girls at the strip club? He used his own legge legge to take himself to the strip club. So your issue is with him, not the girls, you know, are as disrespectful as you might feel that they're being to you. But I can't even remember the full story. I just remember that she did that, but also that it was a man that she paid 5k to, to go and beat up these girls. There's just something very savage about that. Um, It says here, Cardi said nothing when she walked out of the court. Her attorney said the mother of two wants to put this 2018 incident behind her. She also did not want to deal with the media circus that a trial would have sparked. Cardi will have to complete 15 days of community service in Queens. Um, 
uh, the reporter Melissa Colorado says here in all my years of covering court cases I've never seen this court staff cheering for a defendant who accepted a plea deal as she walks out of the courtroom one court employee told me she asked Cardi B for a pick and Cardi said I can't um very interesting times very very interesting times but people love Cardi I think she's a Libra son gang gang um I could be wrong but um people love Cardi even when she does these fucked up things you know because the hope is that she grows from them and I guess that people relate to her but that must be mad though like seeing people who work at the court cheering her on for taking a plea deal so they must have said to her like boom if this goes to trial it's going to look very mad for you because you definitely did that shit um and you don't want it to get worse so she agreed to 15 days of community service um and you know said that she did what they said that she did and whoo child it is I don't even know what to make of it I just I just pray that people are growing and they're learning and they won't be repeating mistakes especially not over men my god like please um Kanye West, you know, we're going from one madness to another, but it says here that Kanye West is opening a religious school. Um, Isn't this the one where he was saying that my children are going to Danda, my children are going to Danda. Like, why? I don't like focus on your health first. Like, please, like a school and everybody will be walking around in, in things that look like bin bags and shoes that look like alien invasions. God. Um. It says here, what the hell is going on at Kanye West's mysterious new private school? Parkour classes, a cone of silence and a principal with no apparent formal teaching experience inside the superstar's new private school. Any parent who sends their child there needs to be dealt with by the to, by the social services, as far as I'm concerned, because that is grossly negligent. Kanye West's latest ambitious uh, venture may be his most surprising and most mysterious. Over the past decade, West has cemented himself not only as a musical force, but also as a cultural and creative visionary with the launch of his Yeezy line, major collaborations with um, Adidas and Gap and tech projects like the STEM player. Now he's moving into education with Donda Academy, his own private school named after his late mother, Professor Donda West, headquartered in Simi Valley, California is it Simi Valley I don't know for you lot um, and your American pronunciations the tuition-based Christian prep school's mission according to its website to me it's already sounded like a cult I'm just going to be honest this sounds like a cult um the tuition-based Christian prep school's mission according to its website is to prepare students to become the next generation of leaders through an ethic of integrity and care West previously teased the idea of a school back in October 2020 under the name Yeezy Christian Academy. West returned to Instagram earlier this month to share photos of students decked out in school uniforms consisting entirely of his Yeezy and Gap designs. He also complained about his four children not attending the school, seemingly suggesting to his estranged wife, Kim Kardashian, that the kids should split their time between Donda and their current school. But despite its celebrity founder, curiosity about about the school, flashy visits from celebrities and West's plans to open up campuses across um, across the country alongside the Donda University. Um, the school has shared little information about its academics beyond what's on its sparse uh, website. 
An anomaly when compared to the area's top private schools that detail their staff classes and other programs. The Academy's website merely notes that students' daily schedule includes full school worship, core classes of language, arts, maths and science, lunch and recess. Enrichment courses include world language, visual um, visual art, film, choir and parkour. Two sources um, have told Rolling Stone that families are required to sign non-disclosure agreements. See, already I said it sounds like a cult. It sounds like abusive things will happen and they're not allowed to say. Um, a consultant of to the school claims only parents sign um, and described it as an informal agreement. What's more, the school is not yet accredited and, w- and was still looking to hire instructors shortly before the school year began. Exactly who attends and works at the school has been tricky to pin down. Donda's listed administrators and sporting programs leadership did not respond to uh, multiple inquiries about the school. A representative for West also did not respond to requests for comment. Many of those associated with the school balked at interview requests, as did parents whose children attend the school. Even attempts by Simi Valley's local newspaper noted in June in their June article that it could not reach anyone. Again, I'm saying that this sounds dangerous. This sounds like it's going to blow up in people's faces. Like uh, celebrities that live in California, I'm going to make a blanket statement. Some of you are not the brightest bunch. Like when we saw that the parents who were paying, you know, um, bribing their, for their children to get into um, college and things like that. Like you lot think you're smart. Like you lot think that you know the things and then you play yourselves in very very major ways and I just this feels like fire festival it's a fire festival but in a school form where I, I hope one of them children make um I hope one of those children makes a tiktok and really like lets people know what is going on there because it I just worry I just feel like Kanye is not somebody that I would entrust per se with children and while their consciousness is still rather malleable even if he's not directly involved in the day-to-day it is his vision that these people are bringing to the fore and I just don't think it's a smart move but you know if if Kim can't even send your own children there then that's saying a lot about what you've created um so yeah I just wanted to share that bit and another absurd thing that I was reading is about rich men who are getting height surgery and I just think it's funny how straight men will talk all of this stuff about trans people and and laugh at the idea of gender affirming surgery not realizing that pretty much most people in one way or another end up doing gender affirming rituals and or surgeries and or cosmetics procedures but this one in specifically tickled my labia um it says here i wish i was a little bit taller i wish i was a baller anyway a growing number of men are undergoing a radical and expensive surgery to grow anywhere from three to six inches and it's not their dicks the catch it requires having both your femurs broken um, this is something I read in GQ. John Lovedale is p- feeling pretty good, despite the fact that he should not be walking right now. It's a little after 9am on a hot Saturday morning in Las Vegas, and he's ambling through the Ariel Resort and Casino with a pronounced limp, wincing as he throws his hips into wide semicircles and dragging his feet exactly where they need to be. The effect is like a Grand Theft Auto extra who's just been sniped in the butt. John is in his mid-40s and stands 5 foot 11 and a half big-hearted laugh 
Built like a saguaro cactus Saguaro cactus, I don't know If you squint, he kind of resembles a brolic Neil deGrasse Tyson He's in town to see his orthopedic surgeon Having arrived last night from Harrisburg, Pennsylvania Where he works as a network engineer for the government He almost missed his flight and was in such a rush He forgot to bring the crutches he's supposed to be using But again, he's been feeling pretty good Um, That John is on his feet at all is impressive and probably foolish considering that only eight months prior he was five foot eight and a half damn back in September he paid $75,000 for the agonizing privilege of having his legs surgically lengthened that entailed having both his femurs broken and adjustable metal nails inserted down their centers Each nail is made of titanium, which is both flexible and sturdy like bone and about the size of a piccolo. Okay. The nails were extended one by, um, were extended one millimeter every day for about 90 days via magnetic remote control. Once the broken bones heal, tada, a new taller John. With a procedure like this, there are of course some caveats. All the height gain obviously comes from your legs, so your proportions can look a little weird, especially when you're naked. Also, the recovery can be long and taxing. When we meet, the bones in John's legs are not fully healed, um, not yet fully healed, and a small section of his right femur is still a little soft, like al dente spaghetti. The smallest stumble could snap a bone in two, and it's especially dangerous since he's a big guy, over 200 pounds, Jesus. Then there's the pain, which is relentless, ambient. The extension of the nails in his legs stretch the nerves and tissue around the bones, especially the thick, meaty muscles like the hamstrings, to an almost excruciating degree. He couldn't walk for months. They fill you with enough painkillers that it's bearable, John explains, but his biggest fear was becoming addicted to the drugs, so he weaned himself off the regimen earlier than he should have. Why would someone like John, handsome, confident, funny, a father of three to um, shell out for a procedure that costs more than a Tesla and results in months of agony for a couple of extra inches? It's not like he was particularly short at just shy of the average height of an American man, five foot nine, but the opportunity to be above average was too good to pass up uh, to pass up. I noticed that taller people just seem to have it easier. John says, laughing. He shrugs. The world seems to bend for them. And I just want to pause there before I read this whole guy's thing, this guy's article on GQ, but you can go and read it on the GQ website. Some guy called Chris wrote his, uh, Chris Gaiomali or whatever. Um, isn't that interesting? Because we talk about patriarchy and, and men will think it's a joke when we're talking about these things, but they're going out of their way getting surgeries like wild surgeries that you wouldn't even think to be able to meet the the requirements or the perceived requirements of what it means to be a man like imagine going into having your femur you having the bones in your legs broken like brucked up so you could be taller I'm not taking a piss out of it per se because I understand like if you feel a particular way and you feel like you you you're not meeting society standards, you're gonna want to do extreme things so you can feel more comfortable in your skin. Because as far as you're concerned, the way that you perceive the world is that people who have that thing that you want are having better lives. That's just naturally what it is. Like you might not, they might not actually be having better lives. In fact, they're probably not having better lives. But as far as you're concerned, they are, and so you want that because. If you're now just going to look weirdly stretched, like Stretch Armstrong, I don't know if that is 
great But if you're willing to go through that pain For months just because you want to be a little bit taller Then who's anybody to chat But I just think that it's important to note that Everybody, so many people rather I would say So many people everywhere are having gender affirming surgeries From having your breast lift um, lifted To having lipo, to having BBLs To having this, to having that um, Fam, even when you've got to do like your whole Your makeup Put your wig on That is also gender affirming You are doing it To assert something About your gender Or how you perceive yourself In terms of your gender Yet People and people play it down when it's trans people Like, oh, why do you need to do that? Well, why do you need to do all of the things That you do on a day-to-day basis then? So you can't deny trans people Something that you do yourself But you'll make it out Like for them to do it Oh, they're imposters Fam, behave That's the only reason I wanted to share that really Because I just think that It, got, it goes to show that Men who see themselves as Oh, we're the logical ones Or oh, we're the ones that do this Like, they're also affected by gender binaries you know, so it it needed to be said pretty much. Um, talking about men, what a man, what a man, what a man, what a money good man, money money good man. What a- the last uh, so you mad is about John Boyega. John Boyega, but 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 Peckham Peckham's finest, one of Peckham's finest, because I also reside and have resided in Peckham and was raised there. Um, John Boyega is getting backlash because he dared to say that he prefers black women Like he, um, he um, exclusively, I think he said exclusively dates black women And let me tell you, the girls are mad, the girls are hot They are stressed Why is it such a big deal that a black man proclaims publicly At the height thus far of his career that he exclusively dates black women? Why is that so offensive to people? They're like, how can you say this? But if I said this about me just dating, you know, only dating white women, I would be called racist. No, no, no. You're called a racist because you are a racist. You don't need to. It it was before you even said that you only date white women. You were racist before that. And that's not to say that people who, who date outside of or white people who date outside of white women also can't be racist. So I want to clear that up. But really what we're talking about here is like nobody questions you as a white man only dating white women because that is what is expected especially when we live in a society i was just talking about patriarchy previously and how you know these things are seen as things that people should aspire to and attain white um, white supremacist heteropatriarchy has made it so that what everybody is designed to um desire and to chase after is whiteness and white femininity that like a white you know the white version of femininity right that is what they're programmed and socialized to chase after so it's not surprising that a white man would be dating a white woman because that is what's expected like people would probably date people who are similar to them in various ways um especially aesthetically i think but if that's already presented as the prize and the thing to gain in society then of course that is what you're going to or that is who you're going to be interested in like you've given us so many things over the years like blondes have more fun redheads fiery redheads brunettes this brunettes that nowhere are you involving people who are non-black i'm sorry who are non-white in that nowhere You've normalised that white women That's the thing All the romantic films Or the majority of the romantic films You know, all these rom-coms White women, white women, white women Fairy tales White women, white women, white women 
And then the moment somebody tries to deviate from that, everybody gets angry because it means like, what do you mean that we're not using this very moment to praise white beauty? What do you mean? And so, yes, it does seem weird when we're so used to seeing in celebrity culture that when black men have money or reach a particular stage in their life, you know, in terms of success, they do tend to date white women. Because again, that's what patriarchy, white supremacist heteropatriarchy has presented to them as the thing to have when you have the house, when you have the car, when you have that lifestyle, it doesn't match to have a black woman. That's what they're told. So, or that's what they're made to believe in. So whether they realize it or not, that that is what they gravitate towards and that is what they go towards. Um, And so to have John Boyega turn around and be like, even with where I am in this life, I'm recording now. Even with where I am in this life, I want to date black women. That messes up the narrative. That messes up the idea of success. That messes up, you know, the upholding of white white femininity as like the, you know, the bastion of like success or whatever. And I like that he's doing that. And I would go as far as to compare the reaction because to me, the reaction that he's getting from saying all of this is so wild, but I would compare it to the reaction that Will Smith got for slapping Chris Rock in defense of Jada Pinkett. Forget how you feel about that, whatever. The reason I bring that up is because people were more mad if if Will Smith had slapped um, Chris Rock over some offensive shit that he'd said about a white woman, I promise you people would have been more forgiving People would have been more understanding But it's because he did all of that to, to, In defence of a black woman Whether you feel like she needed defending Whether we're just, um, you know um, Perpetuating, um, you know, patriarchal ideology Whatever, whatever, whatever Say what you want My whole thing is like That is why people To me, that is why people were beefing Will Smith And they won't let him live it down Because you did that over a Negro bitch As far as they saw it That's not how I personally think of you, Jada Um. And so that's what we're getting in this situation. John Boyega hasn't even presented us with the black woman, but the idea that he would choose a black woman over whiteness, that is really the conversation here. They're trying to punish him for it. Meanwhile, John Mayer, that that singer has said, oh, you know, as much as I could intellectually think that somebody's cool, my, my, my dick is a white supremacist. It only goes up for white women. He's allowed to say that and people are key keying with him. They're key keying with him. And actually it's not exactly the same thing Because white women have just been allowed, You know Like lauded above their station As far as I'm concerned Right Not because I'm talking down to any of you white women I'm just saying like The 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 whole narrative that's built around you Is beyond you It's bigger than you Right As an individual When we look at the narrative that's built around black women It is far below us It is done to be so far below us So we're not seen as desirable so it you can't really um compare the two. Somebody not being interested in black women specifically, dark skinned black women specifically, is likely to be racist because of the things that they have internalized and taken in and believe about what it means to be black and woman if they see the black woman as woman at all. Right? Because it's been set up that way So that we're not generally seen as desirable Yet everybody wants so much Of um, the things that make up our features So 
yeah, the two aren't comparable as far as I'm concerned. And, you know, big up bon- um, John Boyega because in every manner he's standing up for himself and he's just like, I'm not going to let you lot tell my story for me. Like, you're just not going to do that. And I think that that's necessary in this day and age because not enough people, as far as I'm concerned, are standing up for black women, are standing up for the fact that they love black women and they love black women out loud. And then there are these black women who then, I don't know what you think you're doing. Like, you're just talking for the sake of talking. Um, one of them tweeted, uh, John Boyega is saying he dates only black women isn't a problem. Double standards are the problem. If a white actor said they only dated white women, many would not defend his right to have preferences. They would call him a racist because he is. Um, but then at the same time, it's because of the racist system that we live in that has also conditioned him in that way. The rules have to stay consistent. They don't. They don't. Because you're not making sense And I love that somebody else quote tweeted it um, SBB film it says here um, And they said I know white people told y'all Racism was reversible But it isn't It only serves them That's why they demand Marginalised people desire them While they do everything in their power To continue othering us Our preferences are not equivalent To their racist biases Yes That's exactly what I was trying to say In a very long winded way Um Somebody else, as in a wrote, John Boyega being public about his dating preferences is intentional. Most black men who hit it big prefer to date non-black women because they deem them more superior. John Boyega makes it clear that he's the exception and we love him for it. That is all. Now, I don't know too much about him personally, but I like how he shows up publicly. I think that that is important. Like John Boyega is consistent in how he shows up publicly in a way that I think that a lot of black men are not. Um, We've had recent examples examples with the queen um taking the elevator down and seeing people jump up people who claim to be about this to be about that and then you're just falling at the first hurdle as far as i'm concerned like you can't even make it past monarchy jesus jesus of the commonwealth i don't know how you're going to do the rest of this then so john i rate it i rate it is all i wanted to say about that um and i think that's that for so you mad Mm, yeah I'd say that's that for So You Mad Other than Quinta Brunson um, I should have actually added it in Share Your Magnificence But Quinta Brunson won an Emmy As did um, um, Cheryl Lee Ralph Who um, is also in Abbott Elementary And I just love that for her That um, past the age of 60 Is when she was winning her first Emmy And she said so many wonderful things That I felt like affirmed me She was speaking about her life But it really affirmed me that Like you'll get your things eventually You just stay consistent You just stay with your talent You stay consistent You keep showing up And you'll see that the doors will open When the time is You know, when it's all about divine timing But look at that It took Quinta Like look how young Quinta is In comparison to Cheryl Lee Ralph It took Quinta being born Going on her journey in life Utilising Twitter Building up her platform Being offered the deal that she was offered To make Abbott Elementary And then being able to cast Cheryl Lee Ralph In that for Cheryl Lee Ralph's dreams to come through and um, come true. So I'm not saying that you have to wait 30 years for your dreams to come tr- um, true, but I'm saying to you, and I'm speaking it over you, that right now the things that you are calling to that that you see as the highest parts of your destiny that will fulfill you right now, those people, as you call them in, in you know in our prayer circles, those destiny helpers are coming to find you. They are they are finding you as we speak. They are going through their life journey so they can make it to you. Like I believe that for everybody. Like just stay consistent, stay rested up, and just stay with the things and and stay hopeful. Because you'll get your bag You'll get your things 
Um, so yeah, that was a nice way to end it, wasn't it? Um, well, no, that wasn't a nice way to end it because um, J- uh, Jimmy Kimmel, is it Jimmy Kimmel? Yeah. While Quinta was trying to give her um, acceptance speech, Jimmy Kimmel thought it would be hilarious to lie down on the ground on the stage right next to her. Um, some kind of weird joke that he thought he was pulling off. And so every picture of her winning her Emmy, he, a white man, is lying down on the floor in his suit. And I just feel like, why do you always try to steal black people's shine? Because he was also part of the people when um, Moonlight, when that mix up happened with Moonlight winning on Oscar, he was also there. Like, why is it your jokes that you want to run when black people are winning things? It's not fucking funny. Stop it. So even though she then came on his show, um, I think a few days or a couple of days after, um, and they made a whole bit of her finally finishing her speech and him being sent to the back so she could finish her speech because people did point out that it's extremely racist. Like, why is it always these times that you want to do your stupid fucked up jokes? And then even the fact that she went on his show to finally finish her speech, it's again bringing him ratings. You're bringing ratings to his show. So white supremacy, as far as I'm concerned, racism, anti-blackness is always winning. And I hate it. But, you know, she she did her thing. She was a good sport about it because we know that if she was ever angry about it, people would have switched on switched up on her quick. And people are waiting for any reason to call a black woman angry. So they would have loved all of that. But Quinta, congratulations. Cheryl Lee Ralph, congratulations. Are they too loud next door? Yeah, he's talking and he's opening the door. He's doing a lot, isn't it? Yeah, he's doing work as well. Do you want to go and tell him to be quiet? Do you want to go and fight? No, it's okay. It's okay. You don't need to go and fight. fight. You don't want to fight. That's good. I'm raising you well. I don't want you to fight. I'm glad that you chose the the non-violent route. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. You keep watching then. All right. All right. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that was Lev's contribution. Um. Anyway, let's get to straw of the week, aka suck your mum. All right, this week for straw of the week, I've got um, a, um I've, cho- I've chosen a letter. It says here, "Hi, Kalechi. Firstly, I'm sending you protection, blessings for the talking you have to, you have had to do since Lizzie boarded HMS Afterlife. Nothing formed against you will ever prosper. May all of our ancestors enshrined you um, enshrine you from those who seek." to see you hurt. Amen. We will celebrate their demise when they too board Lizzie ship. Amen. Amen. To my main straw of the week, it has to be Netflix. I was trying to set a reminder for one of my K-drama series on my phone when I mistakenly like on another um, mistakenly liked on another clicked on another tab called games honestly I've never noticed it nor do I care but what caught my eyes was a travesty Netflix development um uh, developed I think it's meant to say a game based on the suffering of Africans the game is called this is a true story on the trailer clip for the game a black woman avatar has to trek miles to fetch water for her kids forage for food whilst jumping over ravines and fending off wild creatures but here's the clincher. She also have um she also has to solve maths puzzles and get an education whilst at it. We truly are in the twilight zone because how our pain and suffering can be trivialized and commodified is beyond me. You will never see a game based on the Netflix um, based on the Holocaust. So why does Netflix and other big companies continue as big as they are, um, continue to miss the mark so badly? Is this where what we um are now? A joke? 
that people's daily lives have been reduced to this and the implication it carries that if Africans can just adopt Western education and values that will magically fix their situation. Yet we know that the siphoning of African resources and the meddling and corruption of uh, politicians is all um, orchestral for the benefit of white supremacy. So I hope all the games creators, the approval boards, all of the people that saw this but didn't um, speak, may it never be well with you suck your mum deep dark rat infested underneath until you pass the fuck out here's the link to the game called this is a true story thank you for sending that to me as always love and light forever a baby girl thank you so much for sending that through i did not know that was even going on that is wild absolutely wild um, one thing I did see um, separate to this um, Because I was talking about better help earlier And I was talking about mental health Was the um, charity, the mind, um, mind charity um, Who are a mental health charity They posted about um, what happened to Chris Cabba And or I mean already their initial tweet or whatever Was very somehow, it was very higgy It was very haggar But my God, they they really decided to kind of just delve further into hell. Um, So I will touch on that. Let me bring it up. Let's see where it is here. I I wouldn't even be surprised if they deleted the tweet. But they were talking about, they posted about Chris Kabar, the killing of Chris Kabar by the police. Let me see if they've got it here Because If they've deleted it I'm going to cast them more Oh here we go Five days ago They wrote a thread that said We need to talk about Chris Kabba The killing of an unarmed black man By a police officer Is hard to bear Especially when young black men Died disproportionately At the hands of the police Source inquest The Queen's death is dominating the news right now, but Chris Cabba deserves our attention. Racial trauma is real and events like Chris Cabba's death can be incredibly triggering. If you're struggling with the news, please reach out. We're here for you. So, you know, they got dragged for that. Um, They they got dragged for that, um, for posting that very simple statement. They weren't even doing too much. They didn't add add any glitter they didn't add any sparkles they just posted what they were posting people dragged them because they were just like what do you mean we're here for you like there has to be more that we're saying about this situation you're here for who like racial trauma is persistent and yet we do not like it's persistent and we don't have enough of an infrastructure to support the people who are um most affected by it but okay girl you wrote your thing I remember even being told like they aren't they aren't even breaking up stats enough so we can see the difference b- between um black people who um engage with the mental health services and you know non black people or they're not basically they're just not breaking it down in terms of um people's race and ethnicity and it'll be interesting to see that because that will tell us a more true story of what is actually playing out in front of us um but they got quote tweeted because obviously they wrote Chris Cabba's name and um that made it onto the thin blue line them people there the police um trolls it made it onto their side of the internet so next thing we know the charity have now come back and they've written another um thread where they're basically apologizing it was the day after they're apologizing for um posting the thread it says here 
The post we shared yesterday was intended to support anyone affected by the news of Chris Cabba's death. Supporting one group does not exclude another. We are here for everyone. Basically, they all lives mattered the ting. We are very proud of the blue light program we deliver in partnership to support our emergency services. Our support for the mental health of the police force is also unwavering. Okay. We understand that many police officers feel from the post that we are not there to support them, which was not our intention, nor is it our intention to comment on an ongoing investigation, nor to imply any conclusions about the circumstances of the case. So basically they've gotten bullied in this situation. They've got gotten bullied from their initial start, stance, which was very shaky in the first place. They go on to say, we are sorry that some of our wording has given that impression. We understand this is an extremely difficult time and are very committed to our work supporting the mental health of police officers and other emergency services personnel. Sometimes the focus of our communications will be on one issue and sometimes on another. On this occasion, we felt it was important to focus on racial trauma, which we know can be triggered by events in the news. But why are you even having to explain to ashy bitches? Why are you even having to explain to ashy motherfuckers? They knew exactly what your words meant. They knew exactly what your words meant, but they did not want you to feel any empathy whatsoever to a black life that they stole they didn't want you to feel any empathy for that so they're like oh what about us what do you mean what about you if you knew the if you were as aware as you should be of the violence that is caused by your force by your colleagues to on, on upon black people you wouldn't jump online to be asking what about us because you already know what about you it to me is just so disheartening like racism is really racisming at this time, whether it's to do with the queue or to go and see um, whatever is in that box, because I don't think it's Liz. Oh, you know, to just walk by it because you're not seeing anything. You just want to walk by it. Like it could be a ham sandwich in there covered by that flag. You don't even know, but you're just going up to go and do up, do up, do up patriotism. But like racism is so blatant right now I know that it's been extremely wild in previous decades and things like that But my god, it's just like people are really assembling And they're really assembling and it's like, but what are we doing? Of course, big up the march uh, The marches that have happened to to highlight um, what's happening to Chris Cabba And generally talk about police brutality I think that those things are important And they are needed We need more things though All of us need to be involved In any way that we can be involved Because when I tell you The trolls are assembling In a way like I've never seen before They are on this thing Like they are trying to Dominate the internet With false narratives Like showing up every other day Cussing me out for my Chris Cabba videos All of that stuff Like it's so disheartening I booked a venue for my birthday right um, because I'm like, no, this year I'm gonna celebrate my birthday. I'm gonna celebrate my birthday. I let me tell you now, I have not sent out one invite. I've spent this money to book this space. I've not sent out one invite because everything in me, even if it's gonna mean that I'm penalized um and I don't get all my money back, everything in me wants to cancel because it's just like, can I be fucked? Can I be fucked to celebrate my birthday when everything right now just feels like so, so much? So much. I just I don't know. And I, it's just because I'm looking at everywhere And I'm like how do we get through this Because I don't think it ever goes away It just kind of like dies down And then something else will happen That will just kind of bring everything to the fore again And it's uh, you know to the foreground again and, and, and it's scary It's worrying Mind charity Stand the fuck up Stand up Stand Step your pussies up 
God. I know funding this, funding that, but you knew what you were doing initially was right. Even if you didn't get it hundred percent, you were going along the right path. And then instead these, the wind blew a little bit and then you're now doing shaky, shaky, get it the fuck together. And the police and um, the police uh, the, who are behind these burner accounts that, you, that you're trolling, the, trolling them and trolling anybody who's speaking about um, Chris Kappa with any sort of empathy. I hope that you rot in hell and I hope you suck your mother dry to the, to the darkest, to the darkest depths of, this, to the, of the ocean. That is go and find her there and suck her out dry. That's what I want for you. Because this is, to me, this is, I don't even have the words. All the words are in a jumble. This is ridiculous, to be honest. And then my final straw of the week just goes out to not the people who are actually queuing to see the casket, um, Queen Elizabeth lying in state at whatever, was it, which happy? They've got her somewhere in Westminster, Shah. I do not keep up with her things. Um, people really queued. My God, they really queued overnight for hours and hours and hours. Just say you don't want to bathe. Like, I can't imagine doing that. There's nobody that I imagine myself doing that for, to go and queue for hours and hours and hours. The queue started in Westminster. Fam, it made its way all over, all the way to me and Bermondsey. They're telling you lot that you can be in the queue for up to like what, going on six hours. And people are standing there thinking it's really, really cute. The amount of people who are experiencing homelessness, though, who are sleeping rough that had to be moved out of the way so you could come and line up in the way that you were lining up to come and see somebody that didn't give a fuck about you. It, I love that clip of that woman that stops KC3, King Charles III. She stops him. Well, she she um, says to him when he's going around shaking hands um, with the people who um, are gathered around. And um, she says, you know, people don't know how they're going to pay for their food this winter or pay for their energy costs or whatever this winter. And um, we're paying for this funeral. How do you feel about that? And the, the, you could see that how much disdain he had for her in his little, huh, as he just moved himself and carried on. Like he, they genuinely think that they are entitled to as much money as they have and to as many things as they have. And that's at your expense. Yet yeah, you've queued up for hours and hours and hours to maybe, you know, pay your respects to a ham sandwich in a box. Because I just don't know if they, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing over there. I heard that David Beckham queued up as well and he was in his suit and he was all this. There were certain people who I just expected of, like I have no high expectations of them, like do what you're doing in it. But what I did find hilarious was that, um, Holly Willoughby and Phil Sco- Philip Schofield, I think they tried to jump the queue or did jump the queue and um, people are vexed with them. And I just thought to myself, it wasn't the fact that, you know, we've now seen through everything that's happening here that it's possible to treat um, people who are um, homeless or experiencing homelessness that it's po- possible to treat them with empathy because they were bringing blue blankets around to you lot. People who missed their last trains home after queuing were allowed to sleep on the trains, the empty trains overnight. All of those things were made available to people that they knew that this situation of being outside was temporary. But for those who don't even know how long that they'll be outside, like their situation's indefinite, you cannot afford them the same compassion and empathy. That goes to show you that this country's fucking broken. And I maintain that this is spell work all of the things that they're doing right now if an african um um person was to be able to do it, a group of african people were doing it it would be like oh look at you lot and your rituals look at you lot and your things but why is everything closed 
How is it a bank holiday if every fucking thing is absolutely closed because it feels more like a lockdown? Oh, because everybody wants to go and pay their respects. Even centre parks that wanted to kick people out who had already booked for their stay because they wanted to close on a Monday. And they were like, you can come back um, the day after. Bitch, I'm going to stay here. They were like, well, if you stay here, you can't come out of your room. It's Everybody's gone mad. Every, I feel like everybody's gone mad and I'm sitting here and I and I don't know when we're going to wake up from this. It feels like a very, very weird dream. Very, very weird dream. And I don't know what to make of it. Like. I've already said last week that it feels like we're down bad, but it wasn't all of those things that basically, it wasn't all of those things that stopped um, people from realizing that, or you know, you know that it helped people to realize that we're in a we're in a really fucked up situation. They got upset when Holly and Phil jumped the queue. That is when they got upset. Not the fact that you know Parliament has now gone into, but Parliament is in recess. They've just come back from a summer break. They're now in recess for mourning the Queen, and then after that, then they're going to be going to their um, what is it? Their what is the, what is it called? Their conventions or whatever it's called when they do their things, Sha. So so far in the year. They haven't, they haven't worked, what is this? They haven't done much work. And we're, st- we're paying them. We're paying the monarchy. We're paying people who aren't actually doing, I feel like the same way that people run them, um, you know, uh, rooms or, or Twitter spaces where they're talking about, you know, Instagram stylists, Instagram hairdressers, Instagram makeup artists. There needs to be one about the monarchy. I mean, big up yourself, Lavette. You did a brilliant space on the monarchy. But there needs to be one about the monarchy and parliament currently because you lot are being paid for services that you are not delivering. But monarchy shouldn't the monarchy shouldn't even be getting any money anyway. But specifically the parliament, you're paid to assume positions and none you're not you're just not kicking up enough of a fuss for me about wanting to do your job. Even if Liz turned around, Liz Trust that is, and the Jankro number 10, even if she turned around and she was just like, oh, we're gonna take a break. What, you lot aren't big and bad enough to say the fuck we are, we wanna keep going. Like I just don't know, man. I just don't know. All of this seems very, very fucked to me. And I just don't know what to make of it. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot. Seeing people doing the most, it's it's a hell of a lot. But, you know, this comes out on the day that I hope she goes down into the earth and we don't have to be dealing with this um, wild behavior, this like sycophantic, um, sycophantic behavior anymore because... It's too much. It's too much to bear. Anyway, I feel like that's that. I'm Lev and I are gonna go home and go and chill. Um use our Monday to hang out um and see what else we can get up to. And I guess I'll see you all at the live show. Well, the ones of you who are coming, I'll see you at the live show. So yeah, it's me. Um, it's been me, Kalechi Okafor. You've been listening to SYM, officially known as Say Your Mind, unofficially known as What What. That's right, suck your mum. Follow me on at Kalechi Okafor at Say Your Mind Pod on all of the platforms. And yeah, catch you on the flip side. Peace. It's the Ben's Punani woman is Baby boys, baby girls, you need to hear this Happy sit down, sit down, receive this realness Make sure your cup's ready for the tea we are go sipping yo Hard time scrolling for your long shorts You might learn something you never know let you find, and she's one of a kind Don't say you mind, say you mind